in five, four, three, two, one. Obi Trice, real name, no gimmicks. Who are you? He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr. That's what I'm talking about, man. Wait a minute, I know you. You got the name tag. You're in my world now, Grandma. I know that, dude. He's a modern-day Yoda. I'm your huckleberry. Allow myself to introduce myself. Greetings and salutations. We came, we saw, we kicked it down. You're excited. Feel these nipples. That boy's good. Mm -hmm. Good and terrible. Well, I have a microphone, and you don't. So you will listen to every damn word I have to say! This is the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X. Sportos, motorheads, geek bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Welcome in, everybody. It's the Mike Rutherford Show. It is Thursday, July 7th. Louisville, Kentucky is uh, sparkling today. Not overly awful. Still a little too hot, but it's okay. A little overcast. We're doing fine. We're having a good day. We're going to have a fantastic show here today. 3 to 5.30 again. We'll hand things over to the Cardinal Insider at that point. Bass Baseball once again rolling tonight at 7.05. Shocking turn of events here. We've got more conference realignment developments to get to. Uh, we're, we're going to, to tackle all that good stuff. Uh, first of all, we'll start today. A quick apology. I know the podcast from yesterday uh, got a little messed up. It was a it was a show from like a, a month ago where we were talking about Arby's uh, straws. And people were like, oh, I, I, I fired it up. Why are these guys talking about Imani Bates and where he's going to go in the paper straws again? Uh, so if you if, if you tuned in, apologies for the the, uh, the the month-old show that you heard on the podcast. We deleted it this morning, so we should be good to go. Hopefully we can. Uh, we'll get this straightened out today. Uh, if you want to text into the show today, hit us up on the Thornton's text line at 502-414-1450. Several of you already have to to voice your concerns about the podcast we appreciate that as always but the benefit of using the thornton sex line is you know that you're going to become a refreshing rewards member because you've got no excuse not to be at this point because we've got the summer cash bash going on all summer long every week thornton's is giving ten thousand dollars to one lucky refreshing rewards member and at the end of the summer they're going to give away a 2022 chevy tahoe and it could not be more simple to enter this thing open the refreshing rewards app click on the summer cash bash icon and bam you're entered if if you don't have a refreshing rewards member uh, membership, if you don't ha- if you haven't downloaded the app, very easy to get started. All you got to do is text rewards all one word to eight zero three one three today, and you are enrolled. That will make that happen. With me in studio today, the incomparable. I, I think this is like the what fifth time we've done this or so. Yeah, you've been there. I don't know if you get a robe for the, the fifth time co-host or something <laughs> like that. Timers club. We're, we're gonna make something happen. But it's Sean Moth uh, at Cards PA on Twitter. I promised on Twitter that we weren't going to, you know, just overly talk about the Avs, but we have to start off with this. Go Avs. I was under the impression the first hour was devoted exclusively to the NHL draft. So, just, I mean, I was putting together all my research on how likely it is Shane Wright will go to the Canadians or whether or not the, the pick's going to move. But, uh, I mean, the Avs I mean, are only taking part in the draft. If we're not, then I guess that's fine. <laughs> but, yeah, no, in all sincerity, I, I have never been more stressed watching any sort of sporting competition in my life. And I, I realized that, I hadn't really been up close and personal with a title where I wasn't working and that it, it's a lot easier when you're working. Now, obviously, oh, I, yeah. I wasn't working the Final Four in 2013 in the national championship, and there was certainly some anxiety there, but that's a 
that's a two-game thing, and I didn't get. I still haven't seen the Wichita State game. I had a broadcast. Uh, Louisville played Cincinnati in baseball at Great American Ballpark. I remember that during the game, and so I I did not see that game. I heard Paul Rogers call it, pulled over on a street in Cincinnati where I could get good radio reception of eight forty. And sorry to plug another station, but, it's all good. But you know, it, it, so it, it was just weird the anxiety. I mean, you can ask my wife. I was pacing I, the, the last five minutes of Game Six of the Cup Finals. I was I was a mess, and uh, it was worth it. It was worth it. Um, we, for, for those who don't know, you did some PA work back in the day. You were the the voice of at the Pepsi Center for the Colorado Avalanche Actually, for a short period. I was the inaugural voice of the Colorado Avalanche when they moved in 95-96. And the four years I was on the microphone was the last four years of McNichols Sports Arena. And oh, that's right. I left the year before a new arena and an all-star game. So I'm an idiot. Well, but, but you, you know, also debuted with, with the first Stanley Cup champion. Well, what was nice about it is when I got here – the, the person that took over for me was the voice of, he's now the voice of everything. He's the voice of the Super Bowl. He's the voice of the NFL draft. Uh, Alan Roach is his name. Kelly Burnham is his name. Alan Roach is his stage name. He does now the Vikings, who, which is his hometown, and the Avalanche. But when he took over, he was doing the Rockies. And so when preseason rolled around in Pepsi Center, he was wrapping up the Rockies season. They needed someone to fill in. And apparently management was really stupid at the time because they flew me back to Denver multiple times, including Game 7 of the Western Conference semifinals against the Kings in 01. So this was the first year the Avs actually won a cup without me on the mic mm. for a game, which I you know, I really definitely wanted to happen. But I actually did the first two playoff games in the history of Pepsi Center because it was getting into the, uh, the, the early season baseball for Alan Roach. And to this day, I don't know why they flew me in, put me up in a hotel, but it was great. So I'm trying to do the math in my head. If it takes 21 years after Sean Moth leaves <laughs> to win a national title or some sort of world championship, uh, I feel good about Louisville men's basketball shot in what? We're, we got like 19 years now. We're going to be okay. I think it'll be sooner it's rather than later. I don't, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's a trend because I also did the Nuggets and Colorado State. Well, so, you know, you know I, I like to think of it as a trend. It's fine. We're, we're going to be okay. But the Avs, yeah, the NHL draft, they're pretty much out. You know, they, they, they have a one six yeah. round, one seventh round pick. It, and it's, it's uh, talking about so worth it, it's so worth it. Like, yeah. you look at what Joe Sackick did to some of the, the teams in the league for guys like Taze and Manson and Cogliano, who they just re-signed. And I'm not going to shoot your listeners all away with this. But, they're yeah, good. it's uh, – it's it, it's good. Life is good. Life is good. Uh, we have plenty to talk about today in terms of UVL athletics because the conference realignment madness knows no bounds. And we sort of, I mentioned this yesterday, when we've had big breaking news, it's been out of nowhere. Like it hasn't been a, a slow trickle. It's been boom, USC and UCLA to the, the Big Ten, and then two hours later, it's done. And so now we're getting to the point of conference realignment where the big shoes have already dropped. And it's starting to get to, like, the sources. This is the sources period of things where you don't know who to believe. You don't know what's coming out. People have differentiating stories. Some school presidents, some school ADs, they'll leak stuff intentionally to get some stories out there. And you just really don't know exactly what to follow. And so I guess we'll we'll start with today's developments, which, again, conference realignment, if if it didn't have so much of an impact, it would be so goofy that it would be wildly entertaining. Because we've mentioned you know, the big stories have come. John Wilner put it out there for the UCLA-USC stuff, which is he's a big-time voice on the West Coast. And you kind of wondered, like, this is the time. I jokingly said on the, the podcast today, check out the Card Chronicle podcast, new mm-hmm. episode, first time in two months. Um, you know, this is where, like, credentialed Big J Hall of Fame journalists have to respond to, like, 
at dogfan69 on tw- on Twitter who's posting his own links and it, it the, the the reports come from unlikely sources and you're never really sure what to take seriously and what not case in point today's big development comes from swimswam.com mm. which is like they send me emails all the time cuz UFL has oh, yeah. a fantastic swim program with Arthur Albiero like they are the preeminent source no for for college swimming this is not a startup website that just like launched its Twitter account last a couple weeks ago and has 3,000 followers. They have over 112,000 followers. They are a, a very established, very respected site when it comes to swimming. And you scroll their timeline and it's all of these very niche swimming stories. You know, a, a Lithuanian swimmer setting a record at the Euro Junior Championships, um, a, a trio added to the Australia para swimming team, like all these stories, swim, swim, swim. And then bam, right in the middle, source, Virginia, North Carolina, Florida State, and Clemson are all in talks to join the SEC. So on one hand, this is a respected source. On the other, it's respected for a very, very specific thing, which is college swimming. My only guess is that you know this person clearly is is well sourced, knows a lot of uh, of people. My guess is that he's talking to swim coaches or, or, or yeah. administrators who have heard through the grapevine that this is how it's happening. But you've got then. That report comes out. People go nuts about it. You have Barrett Sally coming out for, and saying definitively, the, the CBS voice, the SEC is not negotiating with Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, and Virginia, and that's silly. And then you, on top of that now, you've got uh, Brandon Gall, who, or Braden Gall, who is an ESPN radio guy, used to write for Athlon, uh, still does write for Athlon, coming out and saying, no, that, it is silly, but ESPN is, and it's for North Carolina and Virginia Tech. Case in point, conclusion, who the hell knows? Nobody, Once again, nobody. Nobody knows. So, well, one interesting thing, Giselle Cahoyta, former conference champion swimmer at UofL, works at Swim Swam. There you go. Director of social media, I believe. Make some uh, plays, an, Another interesting thing, I, and see, now, my problem with, with the conference expansion is I operate with common sense, almost more than actual knowledge. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, if the SEC were to move, the teams that would make sense to me would be a Florida State because you give Florida a natural team. You go Georgia Tech because that gives Georgia, you know, the Mississippi, Mississippi State, Auburn, Alabama, that type of thing, Louisville, and Clemson. Because then you go Clemson, South Carolina, you go Louisville, you know, you you pair up. But what's ironic to me, and somebody, I think it was David Skull tweeted this out about TV markets and all that. And my my point was, is TV markets can't matter anymore. Because I'm a Colorado State fan that watches CSU games and Colorado Avalanche games at every moment I can. Exactly. And I live in Louisville, Kentucky. And so it seems to me that, that brand and maybe TV numbers on certain things in market might have an impact. But we also have seen the SEC dominate the landscape with markets like Starkville, Oxford, Auburn, Tuscaloosa, Gainesville, and the you know it, without Nashville, Knoxville, and Lexington, there aren't media markets, and even the last two of those aren't exactly dominant. So, for people to to logistically go through the whole media market thing, which is why the Big Ten acted when they did with Maryland and Rutgers, thinking they had a DC and New York, which yeah. we all know they didn't, but now they're jumping in with Los Angeles, and it, it's curious to me because they they now can claim with Northwestern. They have the three biggest metropolis areas in the nation. Well, and no, I, hold on. De, De, DePaul. The, the big, <laughs> Chicago belongs to the Big East. Let's be well, real. Honestly, Chicago belongs to Notre Dame. But it does. Rutgers does not own New York, and Maryland doesn't own D.C. No, of course not. But 
I, I one thing that's curious to me who do, who's to blame is, is is this all Boston College's fault? I like that idea. Don't you think? Either them if they or... Virginia Tech and Miami don't make the initial move, it's nothing else ever happens. It's it's them or Sebastian Telfair. One of the two. Oh, okay. I don't know exactly who to blame. I can live with that. Or you know, I don't know. Hey, Marcus Teague. Does does it matter outside of football? That that's my question. Can we just get a czar of football? Pull it out of the NCAA, create four super divisions, and That's let them play for football, and let everybody else just stay the way it is. I mean, think about the, the initial report with from Swim Sam talking about North Carolina and Virginia going to the SEC. On, on the surface, it makes sense. Like, I thought Matt McGavick yesterday on the show put it well. The, the last d- helping of conference realignment, it was a land grab. You're trying, like you said, the Big Ten wanted its footprint in New York and mm-hmm. footprint in, in DC. That was, and this time around, it feels like they're saying it's a it's a brand grab. You, you just you're going after the biggest brands in college sports. So, North Carolina makes sense for the SEC. It's still a big brand. I I don't get the football element of it, but if that were true, you've got two programs in UNC and UVA that are very proud of what they do in sports outside of men's basketball and football. And I mean, the SEC doesn't have field hockey. The SEC doesn't have men's lacrosse. The SEC doesn't have uh, women's lacrosse. It doesn't have men's soccer. Nope. Can you, I think UK plays in the Mid-American Conference. Uh, yeah. They, they used to. Or Conference least. USA, yeah. They don't have uh, rowing. Virginia's won a national title in rowing. Like mm-hmm. These are all sports. I mean, North Carolina women's soccer has been a uh, dynasty. They, yes. They've been the preeminent program. And in field hockey, I think they just ran the table this past year or one year recently. Yes. They won back-to-back-to-back Car- to back national titles. Karen Shelton, yeah. It's like... Are we just forgetting about all of this? Does does it not matter whatsoever? Are, are they going to go independent, or is, are they going to remain in the ACC for those sports? Would the ACC even allow that? I can't imagine they would if you're bolting for football and men's basketball and women's basketball and baseball. But it's like all these questions have to be asked, and I don't think that we're very close to having answers on any of them. It, it's just kind of it's all being talked about in relation to football, and there has to be so much more to it. Well, and I think in this day and age of name, image, likeness, where things are about the student athlete, none of this is about the student athlete. No. Because when I heard the expansion with UCLA and USC, the first thing I thought was your three-game series for the Trojans playing at Maryland, wrapping up on a Sunday with a noon game. You got a travel curfew. You wrap up the game at 3.15. You jump in the shower. You jump on the bus to the airport. You catch your 7 o'clock Eastern time flight which is 10 p.m. Pacific Coast time, you probably have to charter if that's when you're flying. And then you fly cross-country, which is, what, a a four-and-a-half-hour flight, five-hour flight, and you're getting back to Los Angeles, which, assuming you're at LAX or Burbank or John Wayne or whatever, and then you're busing to campus, these kids are going to miss class in the morning because they're still traveling if everything goes smoothly. And so there's there's zero desire to worry about that. Football, no big deal. Yeah, you can exactly. do football. Nah, we're just we're flying out to to DC. Then we're flying back. Yeah, UCLA and USC baseball, two pretty big time programs. Winningest program in terms of national championships in the history of, of baseball, USC. I, I would love to have a conversation with their coaching staff oh. because recruiting just got infinitely more difficult for them. Yeah. You're talking about I mean, these are They will primarily recruit on the West Coast. These are kids that have grown up in an environment, most of them, where they can play the sport pretty much year-round. And now you're trying to pitch them, you know, we're not playing three-game sets in March in Washington or or Arizona or Arizona State. We're going to Minnesota. Yeah, you're going to be playing the Spartans. We're we're going to Northwestern in late March to play a game. And we've seen how— Iowa City. I mean, we've seen how bad it is sometimes even here. 
a much more southern area than most of the Big Ten programs when it's March. It's hit or miss. I mean, the the first time we played Michigan, the the snowstorm that you're calling the game, and it's like you have those types of weekends where you just can't play, and even when you do, it's miserable. That can't be like that has to be a factor if you're an 18 year old kid who can go anywhere he wants to in the, in the country to play college baseball. If you're choosing to stick at USC or UCLA or maybe go somewhere where you don't have to go play in West Lafayette, Indiana in early April. Well, I don't know. I don't know if travel is an impact when it comes to, to kids signing, but I, I'm thinking that it's going to be. Should be. Like it has to be. Because as somebody that traveled with baseball for the last 23 years, I mean, there's nothing better than you getting to use the one charter a year to play at Virginia or at Florida State. Because those are two places that are very difficult to get to from here. That's notwithstanding the fact that there's no direct flight from Louisville to Raleigh-Durham, which is the dumbest thing in the world. But yeah. that being said, for folks that don't know, the, the team would charter those games. We would fly to Virginia on a Thursday, have a practice, team meal, hotel, wake up the next day, have team breakfast, go out, maybe do a mall or something, grab lunch, and then we'll go to the ballpark. When we finish up on Sunday and we do the wrap-up I talked about with, with USC at Maryland, you jump in the showers at 3.45, and at 4.15, you're on your plane, and at 6.15, you're on the ground in Louisville. Yeah. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. Yeah. Everywhere else, we're lucky to get back before midnight, 1 in the morning, 2 in the morning, depending. And that's, that's not flying across the country. That's flying from Atlanta. You know, that's, that's flying from Charlotte. And so I, I don't know how much of a consideration travel is, but to me, that's, that's a factor that's just getting, it's getting ridiculous. And I, I remember hearing you and TK talking about it and him talking about how the, the, the money is going to be there and how the, the universities are just going to keep all the profits. And, and I, I had to correct him in the fact that the universities are nonprofits and that they just reinvest the money. But the hits those travel budgets are going to have to take for UCLA and USC, not to mention if they put both of those teams in one division in the Big Ten, which we have to assume they will, what sort of disadvantage are you putting everybody else in that division at in that conference when all of their sports have to travel out to Los Angeles every other year? It's especially interesting because UCLA is a program that, I guess back in 2018, they put out this whole thing because they they don't charter flights. They didn't charter flights for men's basketball or football. That was their big thing. And they, they instituted fines on themselves back in 2018 for global warming because they did have to charter like a flight or two for a specific game where the time frame wasn't. And now it's like, <laughs> it seems so hypocritical because now they are doing the most possible damage you could do to the environment in college athletics by, they're going to have to fly out across the country for all of these, these sports well, and constantly. It, it is at least more realistic when you're in Westwood because you can fly to LAX, you can fly to Burbank, you can fly to John Wayne. Like there are three major airports, or Ontario, whatever it's called. There's three major airports within an hour, hour and a half, if traffic's good in LA to accommodate and everybody flies direct to LA. You know, when you're Louisville, it's different. If you're, sure, if you're sure. Georgia Tech, you can fly anywhere. It's easy. You just jump on a land. If you're TCU, you know, Dallas is a hub. If you're Northwestern, if you're DePaul, you know, Chicago's a hub. And so it is definitely easier for them to fly commercial, but, you know, try to try to get home from Boston, you know, to Louisville because the, there's one flight and it's at like 4.58 in the morning. Yeah. When we play Boston College, we fly out of Cincinnati. We bust to Cincinnati and fly from Cincinnati. And then we bust back to Cincinnati and then we drive home. And I, I just can't even imagine logistically the nightmares that, that some of these teams are going to have to undergo just so 
just because of money and because and I I just I don't get it. I can't believe that the boosters the the trustees and everybody at these two unbelievable institutions are on board with this it seems ridiculous it does and not even taking into account we haven't even mentioned the fact that USC and UCLA have been to the Pac-12, Pac-10, whatever you want to call it, for 90 years. Pac-8. Pac-8. These are, <laughs> I remember when they added Arizona, Arizona State. Well, like, I mean, that's pathetic well, for me. When you think about, like, that conference, it's sort of like we were talking about yesterday. When you think about the SEC, you think, you know, Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Georgia. Like, there are certain programs that just come to mind, yeah. that initial light bulb moment. When you think Pac-12, you think UCLA and USC. You do. And maybe that's not fair to Oregon, which has been a better football program in recent years than both of those two. Uh, Washington has had, they made the playoff. They've been a great program. But if we're talking about this being a brand grab, those are the two biggest brands. And it feels wrong. I mean, just, I'm envisioning Wednesday nights on ESPN2, and it's UCLA taking on Northwestern in a conference game. It just, it feels so, so wrong. And it's not the first time something like this has happened. Nebraska in the Big Ten to me still feels wrong. Like seeing them no play question. conference games against Wisconsin just seems like it's and not playing exist. Oklahoma, not playing Oklahoma, not playing uh, you know Texas, not not having those right, not playing Colorado. Colorado. That used to be a, a solid rivalry back in the day. Yeah, Missouri in the SEC just feels dumb. Like not not because they left much behind in the Big Twelve, although that Kansas rivalry was a big one. It just feels wrong, and like it takes time to adjust to it. And, and I, I think that we're we're getting to a point now where nothing is going to make any sense whatsoever. If you're willing to blow up things like, I mean, we're talking now about separating Duke and North Carolina and we make fun of the rivalry as much as we want to. Like it's still like that would feel horribly, horribly wrong to have those two teams not in the same conference. It would just, you know, when you think ACC, you think Duke UNC and everything that we've all known, regardless of how old you are, if you're listening to this when you're 70 years old, if you're 20 years old, if you're 10, please don't listen to the show if you're 10. (laughs) Regardless of how old you are, everything you've known about college sports your entire life is about to not be recognizable. And that's, like, like, it's, I'm saying the obvious here, it's incredibly sad for the average fan. Yeah. Michigan and Ohio State, they're going to move, they've just announced they're moving to the ACC. Like, no, no. Or one of them is and the other's going to, like, a new super conference that we don't even know about. Well, and I, to me, part of it, too, is that I think so many of these moves have been just reactive and and panic moves by the conferences. Everybody's terrified. They're just, they, they, they regret it. Like, I think what the Big 12 did, I think they're regretting. And and I, I'm wondering if those four schools are starting to think maybe that was a stupid move because now where are they going to be? I mean, I, I, the old WAC, the old Western Athletic Conference, might become the Big 12, for crying out loud. It, you know. I think that nobody wants to be the president or the AD, or the commissioner, who saw their program just sit around and like get left behind, right? Everybody's terrified of getting left behind. There's so much money out there. I mean, we found out this week, I mentioned this on the yesterday show, the LA Times did a story, UCLA has been hemorrhaging money for a few years. Like mm-hmm. they, were, they were about to have to cut multiple sports if mm-hmm. they didn't do this grab with the Big Ten. And I think everybody's so terrified of being, you know, we blame whoever, that if there's a, a life raft out there that seems like, like, like at least we're doing something, right? Like we're being proactive. And and you're seeing some fans already on the Louisville side of things saying, you know, we got to be proactive. We got There's only so much you can do. And yep. you also don't want to be – I mean, if we had been West Virginia, and Lord knows we tried to get in the Big 12, it would have been a worse fit for us overall. Like the athletic program would have not benefited as much as they have from no. being in the ACC. The ACC is a much better spot for us. And, again, not saying we could have seen that writing on the wall, but every now and then it does – 
kind of pay to sit on your ass. And that's a official line from the Mike Rutherford show. I, I, I like it. I, I've lived <laughs> by that a lot, not in conference realignment. But uh, I, I, it just, it's so it's so puzzling to me because people talk about the ACC not doing anything. And I think their, their move in forcing universities and athletic programs to build broadcast centers and comply with certain levels that the network needs to meet was the right move, but I don't think I, you talked about it. I think a couple of weeks ago that I caught that they didn't do it the right way. Yeah. It was the right move, but it was poorly executed. And if you want to feel better about yourself, then you can see that that's why UCLA and USC left. I remember when I think it was Stanford, Oregon State were playing an early season college baseball weekend, and we were on the road, and it was Friday night. We got back from our game late. We're sitting in the room having our team meal, and I'm like. Let's watch some college baseball. I'm like, nothing's on. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Oregon State, Stanford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not on. You can't do it. Couldn't find it. There was a a few years ago, I think it was the first year the Pac-12 network, quote unquote, existed. I'm using air quotes. Hmm. Arizona was number one in the country. It was the Sean Miller team with DeAndre Ayton and those guys. And Arizona State, they were doing a, a Bobby Hurley classic where they were really good for the first part of the season. I think they were like 13-0. and 0. And they were, I think, number four. It was number one versus number four. You couldn't watch the game. It was on the Pac-12 network. And part of uh, one thing that has come out in the last week with the UCLA and in USC moves is the Pac-12 has essentially admitted like yeah the, the network's a flop mm-hmm. it's it's done it was a complete failure we couldn't get on on any major platform and at least there's that i mean i guess that was the concern with John Swafford and company with the ACC network they thought that they were going to get left behind they knew that they were too late to act and so they they moved as swiftly as possible and in doing so they rushed the network they left a ton of money on the table and all of these moves wound up hurting the league significantly when doomsday happened, which is what we're in the middle of. Am I the only one that that looks at everybody joking about the ads that run during ACC Network games and think to myself, I want to laugh, but it makes me want to cry because yeah. we don't have Food Lion in this market, nor do most of the people in the league. And I don't see a big fast food. I don't see a big soda. I don't see a big card manufacture I don't see a lot of these are not headline sponsors that should be running on a conference network you know we should not be running this razor that you can shave underwater these sunglasses the these Alien are tape. these are not there's no way that these are driving money to universities in terms of what they're paying to get this advertising and so then I'm thinking to myself well what what is the what does the bottom line look like for the network because I kept holding out hope as an employee, the university athletic department that, holy cow, we're, we went from 1.5 million a year in conference USA to 3.8 million a year in big East to anticipating this $22 million a year return on ACC network revenue and never really saw it come to fruition. And I don't know if it's there and it's making up for, you know, Bobby Petrino buyouts and John Schnatter negotiations or what else, but it just feels like the financial struggles, which I found myself in the middle of, could have easily been addressed by moving those funds unless it was money already spent. But it just – and I guess you wonder, too, if the money being directed towards student-athletes now is taking money away from advertisers. Could be. I was always under the impression that was taking money away from – the actual boosters donating to the university, which in turn doesn't matter because if they're putting money into the student athletes, right. you're going to make your money back. I don't know. I mean, I remember one time looking into how much it would cost to if I wanted to do like a 
Sean Moss sucks uh, commercial on the AC network. You wouldn't be the first. It was it was <laughs> it was not horribly expensive. Like if you mm. wanted to get a commercial on that network, you could have made it happen for a reasonable price. And at, on one hand, I was like, oh, cool, like that's that that would be a funny thing to do. On the other, I'm like, this is not good. This, no. this is not big picture wise. Not the best thing in the world. To your point, by the way, on that Oregon State game, it wasn't the problem like it was on the Pac-12 network. There was no television. Oh. There was not a broadcast. Oh. Well, that's... Two top 15 baseball teams playing a weekend series, and there was no broadcast. And Even this worse. Is, this isn't 10 years ago. This is within the last five years. But, but yeah, the, the point is well taken, and it's... I, I, I don't know. I... I I just get so frustrated with it, and I start to think maybe I'm just being old and I'm not, you know, moving with the times, but it, it's just ridiculous. And then I see all these writers putting together, well, here's my alignment, and I'm thinking, right. yeah, it makes sense, but common sense doesn't drive any of this. Yeah, let me see your playoff bracket, your projected playoff yeah. scenario next. It's like we've been doing this for I, – I remember I thought it was so cool when I was putting out, like, my playoff bracket when I first started blogging when I was, like, 19 years old on a website that uh, never really existed. It was just like we all have done this. It doesn't matter at all. Like common sense is never going to prevail here. It's never going to be a thing. The the Pat Forty conferences that he had, it was a great idea. Yeah. It's never going to work. It's never going to happen because this is – it doesn't revolve around the what's best for the common fan. And even when it works, they still try to fix it because 64 teams was fine in college basketball. Yes. The 68 teams, sure. But it's not necessary. It's like in my parents' neighborhood, they have like a like a, a little city council. It's like a mini mini city. Yep. And they would, when I was growing up, every single like street intersection would eventually get a stop sign. And this was not like this is not like a it's not Lake Forest. I didn't didn't grow up in a gigantic neighborhood. And I like I finally got old enough. I'm like these people are just bored. They feel like they have to be doing something all the time. So it's like you know what. We need to stop. We have like seven stops, like stop signs on the entry of the neighborhood to my parents' house. And there's absolutely no reason for it. You maybe see like two people in the neighborhood before you get to my parents' house. It was the most ridiculous thing of all time. But people feel like they have to be doing something. Yeah, I think that's where you are with college athletics. Well, you you might be alive because of the stop signs, though. I mean, I doubt that (laughs) significantly. Uh, We got to go to break. When we come back, we'll hit up the Thornton Sacks line for the first time 502 414 1450. If you have thoughts on any of this, let us know. If you got questions for Sean, let him fly. We'll get to that after the break. It's the Mike Rutherford Show here on 1450 AM and 961 FM, The Big X. Another tequila sunrise Staring slowly across the sky Said goodbye This is the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X Even though he's gone, the impact of Trevor Kelsey still felt strong in the music here. Mm. Always is. Classic Trevor song right here. Uh, TK will be back on Monday. We've got uh, Sean Moth in studio today until 530. It's when we're rocking and rolling. 502-414-1450 is the Thornton Sex Line. We'll take some questions now. The topic du jour, once again, conference realignment. There are a couple other things that we're going to get to today, but realignment madness just continues to, to, to really move the ship. And if there hadn't been any other stories today, we may have gotten to something else, but... 
Swim Swam blew it all up. Swim Swam just <laughs> just had to to break some news. And then, of course, when when Swim Swam's breaking news, everybody's reacting to Swim Swam. So it's been great. Uh, Texas says no better of the time, no better time for the weekly Colorado chat sessions than with Sean. <laughs> He's got this is the guy who works at Red Rocks. Who's um, mm. he invited us out for, for like a private tour when I was on a bachelor party. Wow. We ended up not being able to make it happen, unfortunately. Uh, the Rolling Stones concert that was supposed to happen there got got postponed. It was rough, but. He wants, he wants to ask you, best concert you've seen at Red Rocks and best sporting event that you've seen at the Pepsi Center. He says, I refuse to call it Bell Ball Arena. Wow. I'll tell you what the worst sporting event at Pepsi Center was. That's where That's I want to That's an go. easy one. Uh, that, that was More instead. Uh, yeah, no yeah. question. Yeah. Especially because I was going to have a day off with my <sighs> best friends in the world and then another game. Time oh, you had with to my go back. Folks, and I had to go back. <sighs> it was heart-wrenching. Um, so full disclosure, I've been to Red Rocks. I have performed on the stage at Red Rocks, Jeez. not necessarily in front of a crowd, but just we were touring and we sang and whatever else. I've never seen a show at Red Rocks. I was mm. not a, I don't want to say I was sheltered, you know, because my parents were great about letting me do things and encouraged me to do things, but I was just never in a position to just go to Red Rocks and see a show. I saw plenty of shows at McNichols because I had connections there for tickets. Fiddler's Green was another venue in Denver, and if it makes them feel any better, I never went to Fiddler's Green um, I haven't seen a ton of concerts in my lifetime, to be quite honest. And there is a South Park two-night event at Red Rocks in August where they're orchestrally performing a bunch of their songs that I would give my right arm to I've see. I've seen that commercial. I would – Big Head Todd the Monsters always does a show at Red Rocks. I would love to see them. I've seen Paul Simon multiple times. I never saw him when he was at Red Rocks. I had opportunities. My two biggest regrets as a native Coloradoan – I've never been to an official concert at Red Rocks. I've never been to Aspen. Oh. And, and I'm ashamed. I, and it used to be three things. I'd never been to the summit of Pikes Peak, but a couple summers ago I decided to do that. So I think Red Rocks guy could probably help you out. And, and that's not me just referring to him that. He signs <laughs> his text with Red Rocks guy. Well, you know what? I remember you guys talking about him because I remember Travis talking about good, um, good shows. There are actually CDs, if kids remember what those are, that came out, and I'm trying to think of what they're called, but they are compilations, and there are three of them, and they are all based on music live from Red Rocks. And you were talking about maybe the most infamous or famous is Sunday Bloody Sunday by mm-hmm. U2, where the video was filmed. But there, um, there is a group, and, and a radio station I grew up listening to in Boulder, Colorado, which I know is not a... Uh, not a competing station, so we'll we'll give some love to ninety seven three KBCO. Shout out to KBCO, uh, world class rock. They just they play rock and roll. Um, it is it is a great format because they'll play everything from Tom Petty to the Beatles to Spin Doctors to Mumford and Sons to whatever's new, and they are responsible for launching the careers of Dave Matthews Band, Bare Naked Ladies, whom I've seen in concert and is a great show. But I'm I'm vamping this whole time trying to find this stupid Red Rock CD title, and there's three of them, and I have them, and I can't think of what it's called. But I'll come <laughs> up with it because clearly I can't talk enough to uh, to uh, figure out what the CD's called. But I have I, to say real quickly, if if Trevor's listening to the show right now, and he usually is when he's on the road, um, the fact that you just called him Travis probably makes him cry. I know, and you know what? I was going to call him TK, and then I my problem too is I always. I always uh, my one of my best friend. Two of my best friends are Kansas City Chief fans. Travis so Kelsey. I just he gets it a lot. Now. I just can't get, and that's why I, I try to go with TK because I know it's safe. But it's just a mess. Because Trevor famously gets so mad whenever he comes back and, and you're in studio because I only have you on when he's gone. 
and he's so upset because he's a he's a big fan. Admittedly, he's a Sean Moth fanboy. We worked together for 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 years back in the back in the days. day. Yeah, he you know he famously will not let anybody have any sort of silence in between breaks. Like he poor Nick Curran has been dealing with him for the last couple of months on the Bats games. So when he comes back, he's going to be all upset. I hope that he didn't hear the Travis call because it's only going to make him more sad. Well, what's ironic about that is literally the day after the Abs won the Stanley Cup, I told myself, you know what? I'm going to drive up to the studio and just poke my head in to give a hearty congratulations and say hi to TK because just haven't had that opportunity for years uh-huh. dating back to when he used to be stuck in the 1450 studios across the river running games. And, uh, and I, I, I just, it never came to fruition partly because I was afraid I was going to have to drive all the way up there. Understandable. Section <laughs> says Sean Moth is secretly behind everything going on in college athletics. He left the booth and now this is <laughs> happening. Hashtag Louis leaks. Same texter also says, Red Rocks, Blue Rocks, who gives a bleep? We got the Iroquois Amphitheater. <laughs> mm. Carved in stone is the CD series. I like Iroquois Amphitheater. Uh, Red Rocks is a different animal. Carved in stone, the CD series. We used to listen to the, the Dave Matthews Red Rocks CD all the time in yep. high school back yep. in the day. Texas, I swear that Sean's voice has magical powers. I hear it, and I instantly get less stress. It's such a re- reassuring and calming tone. I I, I get that, too. I've, we've had stress in my life going on recently. It's the only reason why I bring you in here. The, I just, qu- I the need question is, how do I monetize it? Well, <laughs> get the cameo going. Hit up, yeah. hit up Sean Moth on cameo. Oh, it's a little dusty. Well, a little dusty. So is mine. I get like, ever since they let the actual players get on there, I've had like two in the last three Yeah, months. you know. And most of the time, it's like, hey, can you get your daughter in the video? My wife loves her. Oh, very <laughs> nice. I'm like, you can. It's going to be terrible for you. She's not great on camera. She just, uh, she's not going to do anything oh, it'll willingly. Happen. It'll happen. She'll get there. Uh, the last time it was, it, it's either that or it's like somebody gave a terrible take. Uh, when we were drunk the other night, I want you to roast my friend about it. Like somebody was getting married on his mm. wedding morning a couple weeks ago, and the guys were like, and, and to their, like they hit me up on Twitter because they're like, sorry for the late notice. He's getting married tomorrow. We'd oh, love geez. to have this for him. And it's like, this is like the one night Mary and I had actually gone out for like a night out. So it's 1230 a.m. <laughs> I'm like ready for bed. I'm like, no, no problem. Um, and it was, he had said that he had referred to Carly Jones as a poor man's Chris Jones. Oh. And they're like, please roast. I'm like, no problem. I got to get up for oh, this one. Yeah. I can give you a minute and a half. No problem. And then happy wedding to you. Terrible take. Congrats. Wow. Most of the ones I had initially were people wanting their son or brother-in-law or whatever to, to hit a home run. And, really? And get the grass. Yeah, I figured you would get a whole ball. lot of like um, like like three or like doing like the starting lineups. Starting lineups. I got stuff. a few of those. I, I honestly got more of those people randomly asking me to do weddings and bar mitzvahs before Cameo even existed. And you just did it for free. Well, Kindness I mean, of your soul. At the time, I mean, what am I going to Yeah, give me $100. <laughs> like, I don't know. I know. <laughs> People are like, did they did, I, did they pay you for doing the U of L intro video of the bats? I'm like, no, I would have paid them. Like, like no, I mean, fact, yeah. It's well, worth it, it. but it is interesting. I, I will say I this: should be paying them now because both teams have had <laughs> terrible seasons. <laughs> you have that tanking quality, apparently. Uh, I I will say this about the voiceover world: as somebody who's trying to freelance, is the the world of fiber and a lot of these websites and people just everyday Joe that can grab a microphone and a Mac and Adobe Audition and record in their home and charge. $25 for something that normally the industry charges 150 to $300 for has has made the industry difficult. And sure. I'm not crying pity in any stretch of the imagination, but it was easier to get work early in my career because it was limited who did voiceover work because usually you had to go in the studio to do it. So it, it's been it's been interesting to see that adjustment. I'll, I'll give quotes and people will be like, ooh, okay. Like, well, that, that used to be the standard, but I yeah. guess it's not anymore. Um, yeah, it's all, it's all mess. 
Texture says, exactly. Sean is spot on. Couldn't have said it better. People are saying that UVA is attractive for the Virginia market. Ratings don't reflect it. It only matters if everyone in Virginia watches UVA. Which is the same thing about the whole, it, it was always such a, a, a farce. The Rutgers being the, the New York market thing. As if, you know, they're putting the Rutgers versus oh. Seton Hall games on, on the big screen at Madison Square Garden. And people in Times Square are just stopping still uh, and, and watching the you know the ticker to watch what Rutgers is doing in football against Minnesota. It, it's... It's all nonsense. It was the, the the arguments that go into conference realignment are some of the dumbest arguments you're ever going to hear. Like the airport talk has some legitimacy. I get it. But it's not the driving force. At the end no. of the day, it's all about what these people with the most amount of money want. Yeah. Well, it's it's honestly like the, the committee member that goes on TV and defends any selection show for any sport. Exactly. Why yeah, did this sure. team get in? Yeah. Well, they played a really difficult non-conference schedule. Okay, why did this team not get in? Well, they didn't win every conference series, okay? Like, it's a different reason for everything. You know, for people that don't pay attention, you know whose logos are, are prominently displayed at Yankee Stadium? Who? Every ACC team. Really? There's an ACC banner at Yankee Stadium down the lines, which Louisville has a logo in Yankee Stadium. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's crazy. If you, if you watch a Yankees game and notice, I don't know if it's just a purchase, if it's a trade i have no idea but there it is i'm giving credit to my guy dylan lawson hitting coach of the yeah. stars but he's making it happen i thought it was aaron gershenfeld the catching coordinator for the yankees but i guess i'll let you take credit he uh so so dylan is a he actually grew up a uk fan uh who's the hitting coach for the yankees now but his wife is a more of a L fan and so i actually put his kid uh his oldest son on car chronicle a few weeks ago like wearing a L shirt in front of jim patterson like getting excited for for baseball and uh it was i was like yeah it's a nice little moment just to stick it in his face a little bit because he is a uk <laughs> fan but love dylan love the yankees he is he's he's getting it done up there that's fantastic i do love twitter searching his name after because there's one guy who after every game is like fire dylan lawson i've been telling everybody he's terrible I'm like they have like the third best record after at the halfway point in the last 20 years or something you people are insane he's turned like the he's turned matt carpenter into like a prominent, good, legitimately fantastic baseball player somehow. I don't know what he's doing up there, but it's, it's clearly working. I think it's intriguing how people, and no offense to his talent set and level of ability when it comes to him playing and his playing career, but it's fascinating to me some of the people that can just see things mechanically that can make people better, even though they never necessarily excelled at the sport. My roommate in college at, at California Lutheran University my sophomore year uh, Joe Torrey's nephew, Mike Borzello, used to be a, a bat boy at Yankee or at uh, Dodger Stadium, and played baseball. At, you know, was not a draftable player, wasn't a great player. He's the bullpen coach for the Cubs and is responsible for helping Clayton Kershaw develop his slider. Gosh. Has uh, helped Kenley Jansen develop a pitch. Has and was with the Yankees for a, a decent amount of time. And, and actually has worked with numerous pitchers and developing pitches, and yet it's a name that nobody knows. I mean, he had his moment of glory on the stage and the victory parade for the Cubs, but it's just it's insane to me that somebody like that, again, no offense to, to Dylan, oh, he, he was a, a D1 you know, All-American, but it's just— Dylan was not. It's Dylan, fascinating. Dylan, I mean, he will—when like when, when he was texting us, we have like a little old— baseball friends text group and I grew up I mean Dylan and I went to grade school together we played on every little league team together through uh, through high school and 
he was texting us after he had his interview to be the hitting coach of the Yankees. And we're like, you know, how to go? And he's like, I think it went really well. I, I know Cash, he refers to Brian Cashman as Cash, which is just so cool. He's like, I, he's like, I know Cash really likes me. They're investing me in the long term. I feel great about it. But dot, 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 I played four years at Transy. Like, he's a, he, was, yeah. he played at Transylvania University and was like the seventh best player. at Trans- it's, not, it's not like he set school records. Um, a couple other guys that we played with in high school did. But Dylan was always just real cerebral. And in the all-time irony of ironies, we made fun of him in high school for, for being too selective. I mean, he's a big guy, uh-huh. had a decent amount of power, and we were like, you need to swing the bat more. And so we referred to him jokingly, derogatorily, as Lookin' Lawson. <laughs> and that guy that, like, us little, like, 17-year-old bleeps would, like, be like, swing the bat, Lawson, mm. winds up being the hitting coach for the, like, like one of the most storied organizations in any professional sport. It's just, a, you know, he's he always worked hard. He always deserved everything he got, but... I'd be lying if I said I thought he would ever get to the stage. And now he's, like, like you said, with the, the guy talking to Clayton Kershaw, he's fixing Aaron Judge's swing. Yeah. He's making Aaron Judge a better player. Yeah. He's telling, he's making deals with Anthony Rizzo that if Rizzo hits 250 and gets 40 home runs, Dylan gets like 10% of his paycheck this year. Wow. Like, same thing. Yeah, same. I mean, Aaron Gershenfeld, who who works the, as a catching instructor in the system, had five at-bats at Louisville. Yeah. You know, I, and, and credit to Chris Dominguez, head coach of Bellarmine. That's right. Um, Skyler Mead, head coach at Troy. Skyler had a nice career derailed by multiple yeah. injuries, which I know you know Skyler. And Skyler mm-hmm. was one of the most athletic pitchers that's ever played at Louisville. Like, the kid would go shag during BP and look like he was better than all of our outfielders. He switched hitting Little League. I mean, he was good. And he played at first for us. Like, he, he, he got some ABs. But, you know, Skyler wasn't. On the 07 team, Skyler was the sixth best pitcher. Right. And the fifth or seventh best pitcher, Jimmy Bellinger, is one of the best pitching coaches in the country, was at Florida State, but Mike Martin got popped. He immediately picked up at Clemson now with, with Eric Backich. I mean, there's a number of those stories. Like for every Chris Dominguez, there's two or three or four Aarons and Dylans, and, and it's fascinating. I think it's fantastic. Texture says, if you had a podcast, would you call it the Mothman Prophecy? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good name. I, um, when I worked at 60 Kicks, K-I-I-X, Wellington, Fort Collins, New Sports and Marvelous Memories, I, that was Colorado State's flagship station. We had a sister station that was 93.3 FM KTCL The Adventure, and it was a – it played Dave Matthews. It wasn't quite the world-class rock. It was more progressive and, and, and modern. But we started instituting a 93 seconds of sports in the afternoon, and I, I went exclusively as the Mothman with that. So I guess that's a possibility. I like it. I've never, ever believed that people would willingly be wanting to listen to me for more than 10 minutes at a time not doing a game. So I, I, They're doing it right now? I don't envision that, but I haven't been kicked out of here yet. So hey, guys, it's the Mothman. <laughs> I mean, just – just picturing you of all people too, like it being like the super, super like radio sticky, like oh, Mothman a prophecy pu- time. A puker. <laughs> we call them pukers. Here we go. 94 FM. <laughs> Tune it in and rip off the knob. Yeah. It's... Oh, it's, like now I want it to happen. Now I, I feel like it needs to happen. Texas, I don't even know if this is for us. I think this is probably for KRC, but we can react to it. Yeah. Again, if you're a new listener to the show, Whenever Kentucky Roll Call, they, they're on from 7 to 9. And then, again, 9 to 11 every morning here, 1450 and 96-1, uh, the Big X. Uh, TJ Walker, Nick Roush, giving you all the news and views on UK sports. But whenever a text comes in from my podcast listener for that show while we're on air, mm. I listen, I read it, and I react to it. Whether yeah. it has nothing to do with us, we still don't care. Brilliant. That's what's going to happen. So this person says, I'm only ever triggered by your temperature takes. If we can agree that 75 is the base level ideal temp for being outside, I would 100 times out of 100 rather it be 90 than 60. I just cannot stand being cold or chilly 
I'll just stay inside in the heat. Now, Sean, you are a person, you wear shorts year-round. The, the the cold does not bother you. Nope. Cold never bothered me anyway. The cold, the cold. <laughs> well done. <laughs> I, it's weird, like, I would, 90 to 60 is not even a debate to me. Like, 60 oh. every time oh. for me. It's the worst take ever. Here's, here's again, my life is governed by common sense. It's 95 and you're warm. It's 55 and I'm I'm a little chilly. Who can adjust their thermostat more easily to become comfortable? Exactly. Outside. Exactly. I put on a jacket. I'm good. Yeah. What do you do? Like dunk your head in a bucket of ice? Nothing. No. Die. It's easy. You're like dead. set your thermostat a little n- not hot in the in the winter. What do you, grab a blanket. Put on some sweats. I will say I hate if it's like super ridiculous cold versus super ridiculous heat. I lean towards unless I'm sleeping. Sleeping, I have to be freezing. I cannot. Oh. I cannot take any sort of like hot. Like my restless legs just mm-hmm. kick up. It's awful. But if I'm outside, I can usually put up with like excessive heat more than excessive cold. I hate being really cold. But if it's like 90 to 60, is not even a debate. Like I'm talking like 95 versus like 15. Oh, then I'm maybe taking 95. All right, give me 15. But if it's inside. Clearly, like you said, I'll just put on a hoodie if I'm I a little bit cold. We're sure it's the Music City Bowl when we play Texas A&M. Good God. I mean, it, I I don't know. It, Speaking it, of A&M, how was that heat out there? Oh, you know what's funny is is you were talking about in your open the weather today and how that heat index is it's feeling kind of warm. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> no. That was like, that's what it felt like inside at Texas A&M. I, I have never, we, we played, we played in Lubbock, got off the plane, it was 104 but again, it was that dry heat, so it just wasn't as bad. You got in the shade, you cooled off. We played in Tucson in 2012, same thing, 108 first pitch. But you go in the shade, sun goes down, cools off, you're fine. College Station, no offense to anybody that loves College Station, but I, I hope I never have to go back to that place. A lot of great restaurants. You know, the campus is unreal. The athletic facilities are insane. I don't know how they haven't won more at more sports, but – ungodly heat and to have a wide open press box we put the thermostat on like 66 in our booth which was a two-level booth huge huge bigger than my first apartment booth and the the front windows just fully open you know like table to ceiling 12 feet tall so once you opened up you were outside i heard the woman in the back row when i was driving to, to south carolina so it gets to by the time the game was over it was 82 in our booth Good God. And that we're talking like the thermostat. If this is the front window, the thermostat is back over here. It just it could not combat it to save its life. I Mike Monaco was on the field talking with Dan McDonald. I need to do pregame with Dan. Mike did play-by-play for our series for ESPN. I think he does a fantastic job. Did the College World Series. I hadn't met him, and Dan introduced me to him, and, and Mike and I just started talking, and it awkwardly, I think maybe even Kevin had just done the feature on me and he had somehow read it. Like he knew more about me than I did. It was very awkward, (laughs) but I'm standing on the field wearing ironically the same black Columbia shirt, which is like just a shade beyond tissue paper in terms of thickness. It's the coolest thing I can wear except for the color. And I'm standing on the field pregame talking with Mike Monaco and I'm dying. (laughs) I am dying. And again, I'm fat guy. I sweat, but holy shnikes. And then I go back inside underneath in one of the tunnels to interview Dan and like sweat is pouring off my face. Yeah. It was miserable. And it was one of those where that pregame conversation, I didn't cool off till I woke up the next morning. 
He was it was disastrous. I did enjoy the, the the call of game one. I know I talked about it on the air. I don't know if we've talked about it. Getting it on the stream, being able to listen to that until like one a.m. East Coast time, driving to South Carolina with my entire other family asleep in the the back seat was <laughs> it was nice. Like it, it killed two hours of the drive. I pulled into no, that was one inning. God, I know. Oh. Like the thing is, like, everybody else was so mad about it. I'm like, this is great. I'm like, I'm like, go as long as it possible. Like I was rooting for extra innings. I'm like, make this happen. Let's keep going as far as we can. And it ended. The walk off hit happened right as I pulled into like the crappiest gas station in North mm. Carolina to fill up at you know. 1.05 a.m. The only thing that was bad about it is, you know, your your cadence is so level, but then you'd be like, strike three on the corner, and it, like Mary would jolt up every now and then. So I'd have to like, <laughs> I was like predicting when a pitch would come. I'd like, I'd like turn it down just for like that moment and like, like turn it back up. Quit over-modulating, Sean. <laughs> yeah, she was like, I love you, Sean, but God, I gotta get some sleep here. Uh, but it was the, Sorry. you talking about the woman in the last row who like kept talking, like again, in your like very straightforward, like just just so dry like it was i was laughing my ass off on the drive home where you're like folks she's not going to stop anytime soon i don't think uh, she's yeah. she's she's into the game and like like there's nothing we can do about it you apparently have heard about it on twitter and like just the way you were, were talking about it, i was dying laughing it was very it was nice company to have on that drive which was uh, not great on the way down. i'm glad to hear it it's it's fun for me to realize how thrifty some of our fans are yeah. because when games are on espn plus our listenership skyrockets, which now we're all part of the same umbrella, so we can even talk about That's that. Right. But I was told during one of the regional games that was ESPN Plus only via text from the station that the numbers on the stream were the highest they've ever been for anything in the station. I believe it. I believe it. And it, it just goes to show how passionate our fans are for the for the baseball team. And I, I hope that translates into folks coming out for uh, for the regular season in that. If you take a look on the website at some of these summer ball assignments, Jack Payton made Team USA. Unfortunately, Christian Napchik didn't. I don't know how healthy he is, but we've got some kids in the Cape that are having a really good summer. And next year, unfortunately, our number one recruit's probably going to be one of the first five kids to have his name called in the draft. Cam Collier continues to skyrocket up the draft boards, and we could be in danger of losing a couple other kids, but most of them are, as we speak, on campus. And uh, it's... Things are sizing up to be a pretty good year next year. I know it was, a, it was a heartbreak this year, but I'll tell you right now, if, if we win one conference game, if we win at Blacksburg on Sunday, we play that Super Regional at home and we beat Texas yeah. and we go to Omaha. Uh, I saw it's top three recruiting class for Dan McDonald. The, I saw the stats for Patrick Forbes, the kid from Bowling oh. Green, who was Mr. Baseball. He was named the Gatorade Player of the Year in the state. Unbelievable. He had like 553 this year. Well, and it's one, of, it's one of those two where I've had Dan talking about him for the better part of a year and a half, two years, saying, oh, oh yeah. legit two-way kid. I love this kid. Not everybody knows about him yet, but wait till you see this kid. Wait till we get this kid. And it's definitely a legit two-way threat. People are starting to get some buzz that, you know, he he's capable of putting up some gaudy numbers, but I think – I think the team is safe there. There's a Juco pitcher or a freshman pitcher by the name of Jacob Miller, which might be tough to to hang on to based on uh, his desires. We, we mentioned Cam Collier, who did the Bryce Harper, was supposed to be a senior, finished up high school a year early, went to Chipola, one of the top junior colleges in the country, and absolutely destroyed it. And he, he just, his dad played in the big leagues. But You've got you've got a number of other kids. The Wisconsin and Chicago pipeline with Eric Snyder, and that is continuing to pile up. Corbin Dickerson, uh, yeah. Braden Klein, I think uh, Trinity, a couple kids, Tucker Bivin across the river. You know, anybody's a possibility to get drafted because not all thirty teams need to like you, just one. But uh, it's exciting to see the class we have coming in, and 
got some really good kids back. I, I saw, and real quickly, I know we talked over the top of the hour here, but last note on the baseball front while we have it as a topic of discussion, D1Baseball.com, they do that eight for Omaha deal mm-hmm. where you pick uh, you know, the eight teams that you think are going to be in the College World Series next year. They have nine staff riders, eight of them picked Louisville to be in the College World Series next year. And my guy, Stitch. Is the guy Eric Sorensen's the guy that didn't that didn't do like, it? the guy I know best, so we got to give him a bad time. He, his favorite basketball player is Dr. Duncan Stein, and he loves bourbon. He's wow. I don't know, he's killing us. What the hell's wrong with you? All right, well, we'll come back. We'll take more of your text, and we'll uh, shift the conversation back to conference realignment stuff. Also, a couple of hoops nuggets to get to. That's coming your way in hour number two of the Mike Rutherford Show, right here on fourteen fifty The Big X. This is the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X Sports Radio. Welcome back in. Second hour here of the Thursday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show. Sean Moth with me in studio today. Having a lot of fun. Talking some uh, some conference realignment stuff. Talking some Colorado Avalanche. I don't know if you guys knew this. They won the Stanley Cup. Kind of a big deal. We're feeling good about it. We're still celebrating. I bought a ton of gear already. Mm. A, a little bit of it has arrived already. Ooh. I will not let Mary know how much I spent, but it was, you know, she's she's doing fine. We're good. Have, have you seen the litho? The what? Oh, the the, the print. No. They, they, an artist was commissioned to do a litho print, and it's a thing of beauty. Oh, my God. That is gorgeous. Three peaks to well, symbolize the three titles. We'll be spending more. Oh, time. there we go. We, <laughs> we will be making more investments in the very near future. Well, you know, when you got parents that do things for you, I'm going to visit them here very shortly in Colorado. So I'm, I'm holding back to visit them and just see kind of what happens first. But, yeah, I sympathize. You can never buy too much. You can never buy too much. Trust it, me. It, you know, there's no limit when you've won a title. And, I mean, I'm a Lions fan and a Reds fan. So when it comes to pro sports, when am I going to have this opportunity again? Yep. Probably the next time the Avs win the Cup. Which am I seeing that Darcy Kemper has not been re-signed? He's not coming back. They made the trade today for the Rangers backup goalie. I did not yeah. see that. And they, I think the, I saw the Kevin Bra is reported that they're officially that they're done with Kemper. He did his job. Yeah. That's fine. But he Joe Sackick, if we know anything, it's that he's not going to overpay for a, a goaltender. No, not to mention the fact that Frankie was fantastic. Was so good. let's yeah. let Pavel be healthy and take over. Yeah, I think it's going to be him and this uh, the, the Rangers goalie, whose name I can't pronounce, who's <laughs> they're talking about it being kind of like last year, where it's Kemper and, and Pavel, and we'll, we'll see who plays the best. We've got uh, a couple other sports things to get to. I, I did want to mention we should – the, the big story, I guess, in the world today, well, one of the big stories in the world today, James Caan passing away at yeah. 82 years old, known for a variety of roles. It's always interesting, like, what you know him the most for. Like, I probably got my, like, The Godfather is is probably his f- most famous role. Mm-hmm. I may have known him first for Misery. I don't know. I think I watched yeah. Misery before I watched The Godfather. No question. Younger fans may know him as the dad from Elf. Oh. Uh, I mean, just great in everything that he did. One of the very few actors who actually like beat somebody up in real life on a, in, in a movie scene for the sake of art makes him even cooler to me. Uh, Sonny Corleone sleeps with the fishes. Very sad, very sad. But uh, what, I mean, what a life! What, what an actor! Yeah, I, honestly, my fir- <laughs> my first memory I think was a movie called Rollerball, which was uh, Roller not Ball. an appropriate movie for the age <laughs> I was that I saw it on late night television. But uh, no question, and I will always appreciate. Uh, I know people get mad when they know him from Elf, but I will always appreciate the end of Elf, spoiler alert, 
when she is uh, when uh, what I can't think of her name when she's singing. Zoe Deschanel. Zoe singing, and he is playing the piano to accompany her. Yeah, and it is a it's not a shoot it so they show the hands and then show no James Conn was playing the piano because he was a musician and it's a fantastic thing if you've never noticed, but uh, yeah, a, a legend. I Legend. said misery. I, I think the first thing that I probably actually ever saw him in, and this is a, another like wildly inappropriate for a kid, was the, was Brian's song where he mm, was absolutely he was uh, Brian, Brian Piccolo. Brian Piccolo, uh, and you know, the the famous story of him and Gail Sayers, and you know, people talked about it was a, I guess it was a widely known fact. I feel like I, I hear it said all the time that they used to use it in test when, when they needed to get people to cry for scientific experiments. They would play them mm. Brian's song like that was always how it was known. I didn't cry when I was like seven years old watching it because I was seven years old watching it. But like that was probably the first thing that I saw James Conn in, and he's fantastic in that movie. I, I'm seeing that he was on an uncredited uh, role in the TV series Get Smart, so I'm going to have to dig that up. Really? Yeah, I, I've gone to his IMDb page because I'm a little fascinated. Rollerball came out in 1975, which uh, was three years after Godfather, but it's... Um, <laughs> He was uncredited in 1941, which as that era comedy movies go, uh, not very well known. But uh, John Belushi and uh, just a tremendous scene from Slim Pickens. Uh, I did not realize that. He had a role in Dick Tracy, uh, Honeymoon in Vegas. It's it's quite a resume and obviously some lineage too uh, if you're fans of Ocean's Eleven and and some of the movies that uh, his progeny have put together. But yeah, I noticed that too. That's a... It's a sad note, but Very what, sad. A, what a great career to, to look back on. 82 years old, uh, life well lived. Well done, James Caan. We, uh, we've been taking text from the text line. One thing that we didn't mention when we were having the conference realignment discussion and the the breaking news from Swim Swam, which now has been, you know, people are going against it, uh, giving other reports, and the stuff flying everywhere. You mentioned, you know, schools in the SEC, why schools like Louisville and maybe uh, Clemson would be attractive to the SEC. Rivalries would be a, a, a play a part in that. We had a discussion yesterday about Kentucky will never let Louisville in the SEC, and yep. my, my my stance was kind of like, you know, Kentucky doesn't get to call the shots. No. Would they work against it? Would they try to? Of course. At the end of the day, if the SEC saw Louisville as a lucrative option, what Kentucky thinks is not going to matter whatsoever. The the swim swam story. How many times can I say swim swam <laughs> in one radio show? It, 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 it's just fun to say swim swam. Um, the swim swam story. It did include this tidbit that Florida reportedly does not want Miami to join. Kentucky does not want Louisville to join, and Tennessee <laughs> doesn't want North Carolina to join. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there's hurt feelings over Mac Brown's recruiting or what's going on there. But um, the story goes on to say Louisville brings in the second most revenue among ACC schools. Miami's revenue is not public, but it's estimated that they're near the top as well. Plus, they bring a hometown team and a huge market. So, I've always kind of thought that that was. Like if I was a if, if if the SEC was falling apart and Kentucky needed a life raft and the ACC was interested in UK, I'd have no real problem with them joining the conference. I don't. I mean, I I I guess you want the worst for your arch rival is the the thinking here. I don't know if it's so much as them because from a Louisville fan perspective, of course, we're going to do like, well, they're afraid of us thing. Like yeah. that's that's what you do. It's it's a rivalry. But from a UK perspective, like the brass, the people who are reportedly working to not get U of L on the conference. I guess I don't really understand the motivation. Maybe they think the SEC is, it provides inherent advantages for Louisville that they don't have right now. And that would lead to potentially U of L recruiting some of the same players in the same area in, in various sports. I, I don't know, but you'd think that it would be like 
most of the best rivalries, we're kind of an outlier. Most of the best rivalries no in college question. sports are conference rivalries. Uh, I guess two things for me. One, if you're Kentucky, wouldn't you be more upset about Texas and Oklahoma coming in than Louisville? You think? From a competitive standpoint, in terms of success, and, and I'm thinking probably on the football level as much as anything else, which looks like it's going to change. But two, if you told me that Wyoming was leaving the Mountain West to go to another conference, I would not be pleased because that's Colorado State's, that's the border war. Like, that's what it's all about. And so there's definitely some pluses to having a rival within the conference. But I, yeah, it, it's interesting to me that my logic was is if you, if you put those natural rivals in, then you basically own Florida, South Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, and to a certain extent, the better parts of Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah. And, and, and maybe Oklahoma state would come into the conversation. I feel badly for the Kansas states, Iowa states, you know, Washington State, a lot of the state schools as a Colorado State fan. But I I just, the injustice of some of these schools that are going to get left out, and I think the example people always want to use is Wake Forest. Like, why does Wake Forest deserve to be in the ACC? Yeah. They're the, they're the smallest Power 5 enrollment, I believe. They're the smallest Power 5 football stadium. They're... I mean, they they had a really good baseball team last year. We went to their place, and there were more people at Virginia's birthday party than the Friday night game. Like, it was ridiculous. I've never seen a crowd at a game there. And so for them to – and I think that was one of the arguments pre-ACC for Louisville is we're a better program than Northwestern. We're a better program than Wake Forest. Like, why can't we be in these leagues? And now you look at where some of these – these teams are going to be is their is their loyalty and their their membership to a league like the ACC going to pay off for them in the long run and they're going to stay in a new big conference over Louisville or is it our numbers going to matter that's been the frustrating thing all along I think for Louisville fans especially you know now we've had our struggles in football and men's basketball but the last helping of conference realignment when I mean we were on the verge or in the midst of the, the year of the Cardinal. You had the football program riding high. The basketball program appeared to be trending towards a, a third national title. Baseball was going to the College World Series every other year. And women's basketball was going to Final Fours, playing in national title games. And you looked around and you thought, at some point, the games have to actually matter here. Yeah. You know, like wins and losses have to be a, some sort of factor here. You know, it's great to have this market or this TV market or this academic standing, but doesn't this all come down to being able to claim the most championships, to being able to claim the, the best bowl record, to being able to claim the most money from the revenue shares of advancing in the NCAA tournament? And that was why it was so frustrating to see, like, you know, they were tossing out, like, UCF as a potential ACC school ahead of mm. us in some cases. And you're like, you know, what, what else can we do besides win every game that we're playing? Well, and ironically, where I, what I compare that to is draftability. And I go back to Teddy Bridgewater. And his small hands and his skinny knees and his bad his bad day at the combine and what or you know pro day or whatever and I'm thinking to myself did you not watch him play football a lot of film when does football matter and and for it not to matter and and I'm the first e crow on Josh Allen because when the Broncos were threatening to draft Josh Allen I was having kittens because I'm sitting here saying we've we've got a defensive tackle from North Carolina State that's available we need D line help we can address the quarterback. Now they've obviously finally done that. I thought I didn't think Josh Allen could throw bread the ducks, but clearly he could. But at, at what point can you not watch somebody on film and know they're good? And in the same light, at what point does the eye test not matter? I mean, you look at the. I mean, it, 
the, the thing about Louisville, and we've talked about this before, is you can't compare this athletics program to anybody else. Like Miami made a, a late jump to become good at football after some success in basketball, Rick Barry era, and then now they've had more success in basketball and jumped from some level of anonymity to a big conference. But there's really no comparison to what, what Louisville has done nearly getting kicked out of Conference USA after lingering in the OVC, the Missouri Valley, the Metro as an independent to be in the ACC and now to fight those battles. And I mean, I remember the celebration to get in the Big East. Yeah. Like it was groundbreaking. What what Tom Jurich and the administration did to get that team in that league was game changing. And if the Big East if the Big East never changes and Virginia Tech, Boston College, and Miami are still in the Big East with Rutgers and Louisville. It's beautiful. That's an incredible conference, but that's how much things have changed. And honestly, it gets you to a point where what what does matter? Can anybody really tell you? Let what, me. I want to ask you this because you have unique perspective. You were on the inside during you know, when Louisville was making the move to the Big East, and then eventually when they got to the the ACC. For us on the outside, and you're already seeing some of this. You're, you're seeing, you know. The rumors are flying. Schools are talking to school, and you're seeing some people are like, "What is Josh Hurd doing? Like, you've got you've got to make a move. Is is he talking to people? Is he? How much? Because the fans are going to flip out until they have something substantive that they can latch onto and and feel either good or at least know what their future is going to be like behind the scenes. Because there was so much talk, especially that second helping when it was Louisville versus West Virginia for the Big Twelve, and then Louisville versus UConn and whoever for the ACC. Like how much was there talk at U of L behind the scenes? Like how much was this a concern for the employees? Was there whispering there? Was there whispering like what's Tom thinking? Who is he talking to? How much of that was going on, or was it kind of like keep your head down and just go about your business as usual? I think for the staff there was a lot of keep your head down and move forward. But I also came to understand that Tom Jurich pulled every arrow out of his quiver that he possibly could in terms of calls, whether it be to coaches, whether it be to athletes, whether it be to former coaches, former athletes, administrators, former administrators, university presidents, former university presidents, politicians, TV executives, anybody that he knew, it was all about selling our brand. And I think the most difficult thing now for Josh, and people can point to inexperience as the most difficult thing, but I think the most difficult thing is going to be, what do you sell them on? Yeah. Because you don't know what they're looking for, and who do you sell it to? I mean, don't you think that if the AD at Stanford was talking with the AD at UCLA, they felt pretty confident that they were on the same page? For yeah. sure. Yeah. Wait, you're going to the Big Ten? What? Like, you don't know who's going to stab you in the back, and you don't know who you can trust, and you don't know who you need to. Like, should he be on the phone with the commissioner of the SEC? Should he be on the phone with the commissioner of the Big Ten? Should he be on the phone with the commissioner of the Big 12? Should he be on the phone with the AD at Kentucky? Should he be on the phone with, you know, the, the conference commissioner and all the other ADs in the conference for some sort of show of solidarity? Because, you know, that, that quote-unquote show of solidarity is going to mean just as much as your handshake saying, oh, we're not going to let you. Yeah, the alliance, perfect exactly, example. Yeah. So who do you trust and, and what do you sell? Like what? Where do you go? It's so it's such a different case, and unfortunately for Josh, he because Tom George was so instrumental in getting Louisville into the Big East and then into the ACC, and the commissioners of both conferences essentially said that. I mean, when the stories came out about how Louisville went from looking like they were going to be runner up again to the ACC to being the obvious choice, 
everybody within the, the ACC said you know, it was Tom Jurich. He did all this stuff. And so Josh is in this in this situation where, once again, he's going to be unfairly compared to his, I guess, not direct predecessor, but the, the person who he's going to be compared to the most. And people are going to say, well, Jurich got it done. Why, why can't you get it done? The situations are so vastly different. With the When it was making the move to the Big East, when it was making the move to the ACC, when it was trying to get into the Big 12, the the target was obvious. The what you had to sell was obvious. The yeah. who you needed to talk to was obvious, and you were competing against virtually one school every single time. It was you in the Big East. It was you and a couple of other schools that were trying to get in at the same time. In the the Big Twelve, it was you versus West Virginia, and then it was you versus UConn. And you knew to you know say, hey, like, you know, look at our football record versus their football we're record. Better than they look, are. We're better than them at literally everything. They don't bring you much in their t- their TV market. Hey, what do you want from us? We're a, a better ge- geographical fit. They're not that much better than us academically. If that's the concern, we're an obvious choice. In this case, you're right. There's no the landscape is still so unstable that you don't know who to talk to. If it, if it's as simple as trying to get into the SEC, then I guess you make a call. But I, I, what Josh said when Tim Sullivan reached out for comment, I thought was probably as much as you can say, which is in an ideal world, the ACC stays together. And we feel pretty good about where we are. Yep. Even if the Big 12, and or not the Big 12, even if the Big 10 and the, the SEC expanded 20 teams, so long as they're not picking off our best, we feel like we can still be competitive. We still have a seat at the table. And basketball-wise, we're going to be as strong as ever. And so you just kind of have to wait around and, I guess, hope that those other schools don't peel off, despite all the reports that make it seem like it's more likely than not. And it's not a... It's not an enviable position, especially for somebody who's been in the job for seven months. Poor Josh. I mean, he gets yeah. the job and the I mean, the basketball thing just, uh. just falls apart. You've got uh, Scott Satterford, who at the time is kind of an unpopular guy who's been given an, at least another year. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just he's dealt with one thing after another. And so far, so good. But yeah. this is – I don't think he saw this coming. And No. God love him. I hope he's still celebrating the abs win. Well, I'm glad he had the abs, yeah. Had well, the abs. And I'm trying to think, too. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to search this, but I, I believe the AD at USC is still Mike Bone, if I'm not mistaken. And Mike Bone was an associate AD for Tom at Colorado State and was the AD at Cincinnati. Hmm. And So you're staying well, over to the Big Ten? Well, well, <laughs> Sean Moss says, I, uh, Mets sports fired up. Well, what, what was interesting, too, is the, the more I was thinking about it, that, that you know Mike was going to take the job at CU as AD, and, and I, I seemingly remember, you know, as, as he kind of had, he had a Western background. I think uh, he was originally from the Midwest, but he, he had some, I think he went to Kansas as an athlete and then had spent time at, at, at Air Force Academy as well as, as Colorado State. But I, I think he was uh, he was AD at, at Colorado, and I, I believe that Tom told him not to take that job because they were in debt and it was a terrible situation. But Mike did a nice job there. And yeah, now he's he's the AD at USC. So I, I don't know, you know, what connections they have there. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right. It was easy to identify. It was it was a game of comparison. You know, we're, we're a better option than they are. And in the losing battle to West Virginia, you understood that you made their football tradition probably was a little yeah. stronger, and just the pedigree from having been an established conference a little bit longer didn't hurt them. Not to mention an unwavering fan base in an area where you're not sharing fans. But then the comparison when it came to us against UConn. I mean, if UConn's not down the road from Bristol, Connecticut, I don't, I don't. That one, that one ends in the first round. And as it was, I don't think the fight lasted long. But yeah, to the point that you extended upon to the point that I made, I don't know who you talk to and I don't know what you promote. I think at this point, all you can do is promote your brand and know that 
I, I think what's important is to maybe understand what public perception is of the University of Louisville outside of Louisville and outside of fans of Louisville. Because growing up as a kid in Colorado, when Tom George got the job, I knew that Browning Nagel was a pretty good quarterback, and I knew that, you know, uh, uh, Jeff Brom was a pretty good quarterback of, of recent note, and I knew they played football at Wyoming, and I was thinking that was really weird because they were just <laughs> up the road. And I knew of Dr. Duncan Stein, and Jerome Harmon was one of my favorite players of all time, and I knew the 86 title team. I knew they had a really good basketball program. I knew about Denny Crum. I didn't know anything else. I, I didn't know where Louisville was in the state of Kentucky when Tom called me. I had no idea. And so it's a matter of understanding what the public perception is, and I think Lamar Jackson – and Donovan Mitchell, and the success the teams have had at a high level, not to mention the ability to showcase some of the facilities, not necessarily on a local level, but on a national level, with how many teams have been through the Yum Center in the postseason in various sports, how many teams have been through Jim Patterson Stadium, how many teams have been on campus to see is Louisville a marketable commodity in the Division One athletic landscape? Are they one of the top 40 programs right now? I have to think yes. But I'm here. And so what's the public perception? What's the professional perception nationwide? And I think, I think it was Andrea Adelson and somebody else put together the draft where they drafted uh-huh. their own 20-team conferences, and I think Louisville was picked 39. Yeah, they were in the top 40, but it was the last round. Whew. It always shocks me, and I guess it is just because I've, I've grown up around here. Every now and then you talk to – you have like that moment where you talk to somebody who's not from here about Louisville, and it just kind of – like jars you to the core where you're like do you really not like not know this for instance when i was being pitched the this was the year before lamar jackson won the heisman when they they reached out to me to write the the book the 100 things about louisville and their initial like when they they, they set the parameters and they were like we're thinking 80 chapters on basketball and 20 on football and nothing mm. else and i had to like kind of fight to say we've got baseball stuff that i need to write about we've got women's basketball stuff that i need to write about we've got more than 20 chapters on football um like, like and you realize just how little despite winning the sugar bowl despite you know winning the bcs games having the multiple top 10 finishes the, all the, the pros that we had had at that time it takes a long time to break through into that just national perception deal you have to have things like lamar jackson a, a guy who has a everlasting presence after he leaves Louisville for people to really recognize what your brand is and what you've accomplished. Um, Tom told me straight up one time, and I, I still disagree with this, but I understand where his head was. During the 2016 season, he said, Lamar winning the Heisman will mean more to us than winning a national title would, which I disagree with. I think winning a national title has more of an impact than he was letting on, but I understood his point. If this guy, people remember Heisman Trophy winners, especially when they do electric things the way that Lamar Jackson did. Yeah. And whenever they're forever attached to Louisville, it becomes this deal where 20 years from now, even if the program is not winning national titles or it's kind of in the place where we are now, toiling in mediocrity for a little bit, trying to get back to where we've been, people are going to remember, like, Lamar Jackson played at Louisville. Like they, they're capable of accomplishing big-time things, and you need multiple things like that to happen over the course of time for the, hey, it's a basketball school thing, to shift to, well, it's a basketball school, but they've done this, this, and this. And we, I, I think, we feel like we should be closer to that than we are, but there is a great big world out there that doesn't see things the same way. And for us, that sucks. Yeah. Well, you know, if you if you went to uh, Portland, Oregon and polled 100 self-proclaimed sports fans and asked them where Russ Smith played college basketball or what sport he played and where he's from, I don't, I well, don't they know. Should, what, no, he dunked all over him this week. Well, they should, but I don't know that, you know, you don't know that they will. And I, 
I think the point about Lamar is interesting because there are a lot of Heisman Trophy winners that have been very forgettable. I don't know that there's ever been one as memorable, maybe outside of Johnny Manziel, ironically, who just fizzled out and did nothing. But I don't know there's been anybody as dynamic or memorable as Lamar. It wasn't just a Heisman Trophy winner. It was one of the greatest seasons of college football that ever existed for an individual. Yeah. Like the numbers and for the numbers to be better the next year and for him not to win it is Ugh. ridiculous. But that would that's another argument. But to Tom's point, I, I always joke with people, I would ask my buddies like point blank two weeks after the men's final four, who was in the final four? And they'll be like, Oh, Kansas beat um um who did they beat? Like yeah. like it's almost immediate that you you can forget these things. But if you say who is the quarterback at Louisville that won the Heisman Trophy, you'd be like, oh, Lamar. Yeah, exactly. And so, so it's it's in, it's an interesting statement. I could see agreeing with it. I could see disagreeing with it. But the bottom line is, is its impact was immeasurable. And if you told me when I came to Louisville we'd have a Heisman Trophy winner, I mean, I was here for the second year of Papa John's Cardinal Stadium at the time and did baseball games at Old Cardinal Stadium. Like, it just it it's remarkable it where. The program is coming, and as someone who can name, I think probably every Final Four team in like the last twenty years, yeah. like it, it's just, it, it still blows my mind that it's, there's not more of an impact out there. But I remember we took a trip, uh, Mary and I, before we got married, we got off the plane. This was a few months after Louisville had won the national title in men's basketball, and somebody saw my Louisville shirt and they were like, "Yeah, that Florida Sugar Bowl," and I was like, yeah, "That's that was their their lasting image, like that was what they thought of it initially." And it's just, it, it's so. I always knew that college basketball was a bigger deal here than it was the rest of the country. I don't think I realized how much, how different it was until I went away to college and, you know, went to Dayton and most of like half of Dayton is, is kids from Chicago. Yeah. And I would talk about like, you know, wheeling the TV in during lunch to watch conference tournament games, like during, like not even NCAA tournament games. We were watching like Louisville versus TCU in the conference USA quarterfinals during lunch break in grade school. And they're like, what? And I just, I, I didn't know. And then working at SB Nation on a national side, just, I thought we had, you know, great content, great stories. None of the editors cared at all until after the Super Bowl. And then it was like, you know, I'm like, we've been doing great stuff since November. Our preview was incredible. They cared about the preview a little bit. But it wasn't until the Super Bowl ended and March Madness was on the horizon that they said, okay, what's going on? What do you got? What are you guys going to give us? Between then and every other month of the year, you're pitching during these editorial meetings. And they're kind of like, okay, cool. Do whatever you want. Which was great for me because I was like, you know, don't pay attention. Yeah. I'll do great work. But also if I read something that I was really proud of and it just got no play, but then you'd see the numbers and you'd realize why. Like March Madness, the day after the bracket comes out, was always the highest traffic day on SBNation.com when I was working there. Higher than Super Bowl Sunday, higher Mm. than if there was a gigantic crazy story. Always. The day because people are obsessed with the NCAA tournament and filling out a bracket. But it's, it's staying power is limited. When it ends, it ends. And then it's all, it's out of the sports conscience until February of the next year. And that's just the way it works. And it took a long time for me to realize that, but it's one of the problems that Louisville faces, being a perceived basketball first school. There's no question about it. And again, when you talk about where Ohio State was 30 years ago, where, you know, fill in the blank program that's been, you know, that's, that's the thing when you even compare, I mentioned Kansas State or, or Iowa State or, you know, Wake Forest or Northwestern, even though they haven't done much, they were in that league. They were pulling in that paycheck. They were getting that brand. They were getting that recognition. They were getting that publicity. Like, we, we even remember as Louisville fans, like, oh, we're playing Wake Forest in the Orange Bowl? Yeah. <laughs> what a joke. People were pissed. What have they ever done? Yeah. You know, why couldn't we get a good team out of the ACC? And, well, you know what? I mean, can, are, 
you know, are we that program now? I, I don't think we are, but uh, yeah. Poor Tulane. Don't don't leave the SEC in oh, 1965. Man, what were you doing? Pioneering. Yeah. Uh, we, we have to go to break. When we come back, we'll get back to the text line 502-414-1450. That's the Thornton's text line. Uh, we'll wrap up hour number two here on 1450 and 96.1, The Big X. This is the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X. Take these broken wings and learn to fly all your life. You are only waiting for this moment to arrive. I know, I know what this is right here. This is Happy Birthday, Ringo Starr. Happy Birthday, Ringo Starr. I believe he's, what, 82? I think that's what I saw today. And why not wish him a happy birthday in a song he didn't play? Happy. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just Paul with the acoustic. Happy birthday to Ringo Starr. <laughs> Big fan of the show. Now he's never going to come on. That's okay. we got Sean Moth in studio today. We're taking some text now in this segment. We've been talking conference realignment stuff. Sean, with a unique perspective being on the inside back during the, the last helping of conference realignment. This time around, though, a, a little bit more complex. Uh, we've been discussing that. 502-414-1450. That's the Thornton's text line. Uh, Texas says, if Louisville is smart, we leverage Lamar and Teddy as much as possible to help us get into the SEC. You know, I, I'm not sure how much that plays. I think recent football success certainly helps. Louisville is, is still recognizable as a successful-ish football program, but not having, I think not doing more in the ACC is, is hurt us. I, I think that if you ask the average college football fan, hell, if you ask the average Louisville fan, in 2013, with the when Louisville was going to the conference a year later, what their expectations were for success in the league, it would be more than where we are right now, which is about a 500 team overall. And zero division title. Well, we share the division title in 2016, but have never played in the conference championship game. And more importantly than that, we have not had a season since 2013 where we've won 10 total games, including bowl game. And to have Lamar Jackson and Jair Alexander, who maybe is, the, is now the highest paid cornerback in the NFL, and now Lamar, a, a former NFL MVP, who's going to demand a high amount of money whenever he signs this next deal. To have those two guys together and not get to 10 games in any of those three seasons, it's a it's a pill that has only become more bitter as time has, has passed on. So I think that it feels like a, a little bit of a missed opportunity to not have done more during that period and to still not be doing more, which is why, once again, it's such a huge season for Scott Satterfield because it's great that we have this unprecedented recruiting class coming in, yep. but there are enough tools at his disposal right now to at least be a 7-5, and 8-4 and four team with this schedule, with the ACC not looking like the like a total juggernaut. Clemson's going to be really good. Some teams are like Pitt should be good, NC State should be good, but it's not like you're running an SEC gauntlet. If you can't get to 7-5 and five or 8-4, and four, I mm-hmm. think the message to the local fan base is it's great that we're getting these players in, but can you – like we don't want to be 9-3 and three shouldn't be the peak. Yeah, We've experienced 11-1 and one before. We've experienced being in the top five deep into a season. We want to get back there at some point in time. Having the players gives you the chance to do that, but if you don't have the right coaching staff and the right culture in place – it's not going to matter. So this, I mean, this fall, I've said it a million times. I'll continue to say it a million times more before we we get to September. Could not be more significant yeah. for uh, for him and the state of the program. Yeah, no pressure, but yeah, for the state of the department. Yeah, and 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 I think too, one thing I maybe didn't express clearly enough with us putting our heads down when when the conference realignment was happening, there there was a lot of panic and a lot of you know a lot of nerves. Like we 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 had a lot of faith in Tom and the administration to be able to get the job done, but we all. You know, we also go to <laughs> on the Paul on chips and salsa and be at the table going, 
what are we going to do? Yeah. What are we going to do if we don't get in? And so there was definitely a lot of panic. And I, I think it's interesting because I go back to 2014 when we were in the American Athletic Conference for that one year. We won 14 conference championships, whether they be regular season or tournament titles, which is stupid. I mean, 21 sports, obviously you can win two each in a lot of the different sports in that. But, you know, and, and baseball actually lost in the conference tournament. So there was a 15th that could have been there. There, there was some we there's some low hanging fruit we left. But a group of coworkers and I got together. We said, OK, ACC next year. How many years before we win 14 conference championships? Mm -hmm. And we, we, we kind of we sat on that for a while and we're going, man, I don't know. I mean, our best sport right now probably is baseball. And I don't know if we can make the jump. And then we go win five straight division titles. It's ridiculous. We're going, oh, the soccers are legit. Soccer competed, you know, like, and you knew basketball was going to be okay. But we're saying to ourselves, how many years? We did it in one year in a lesser conference, but how many years is it going to take? And I'm wanting to look it up because I don't know. I'm pretty sure we passed 14 if you count regular season division titles for baseball, because I think that's six right there. Um, Obviously, Jeff Walls has done yeoman's work in terms of adding to that total. But I mean, that's to put that into perspective. I mean, that's a a relatively long period of time to try to catch up with that total. And it wasn't a lack of faith, but it was more the reality of, okay, we're, we're not necessarily jumping from JV to varsity, but you know, this is, this is going conference USA to big East, but even more so. Yeah. And so it was it was intriguing and, and, and some of that speculation and some of that was done with a little bit of fear involved. Like, oh, I wonder how many. And then we're going, holy cow, I wonder how many it's going to take. It reminds me of uh, John Boy's brilliant native Louisvillian who, who works for SB Nation, writes general stuff, very weird stuff. Uh, the YouTube channel is fantastic <laughs> where he does all the, the sports nerd stuff. Uh, but he had written a thing when Louisville was in the middle of that AAC season basically saying, I wish we could could relocate to an even worse conference. And he was like, the reason why is, is obvious. For me as a fan, I like watching my team womp on fools. I like watching us win games like 70 to 3. This is a lot of fun for me. Um, I, you know, I don't, national title's cool. Like the access would be great. But I also enjoy us watching, you know, beating Memphis in, in basketball or Tulane in football 70 to 6. Uh, you know, it, it's fun. Uh, and we haven't, you know, it would have been fun, but you get why you have to make a move. And unfortunately for us in the biggest sports, it hasn't been quite as smooth. I mean, men's basketball, I think you have to assume would have had more seasons like the first two had stuff, not, not so cool stuff happened. Um, (laughs) Football. I still don't know exactly what happened in 2018. We're still trying to recover from that, but it was going well at first. I mean, we overachieved, I think in the first year had a a decent season a year later. And then you have the Lamar season where you go seven and one in conference, you lose the two non-conference games. And then ever since then, it's just kind of bottomed out. We haven't really found our footing, which sucks because it feels like the conference hasn't been maybe as good as we thought it was going to be top to bottom during these years. And we have not taken advantage. Um, Speaking of not taking advantage, I I just saw the, you know, people have were critical of Mark Stoops at UK those first couple of years because the SEC East was so far down and UK was not really stepping up. He now, uh, he went on KSR this morning. He, they, they're putting out an APB. Like, like they want anybody to help. They, they want everybody to know that Mitch Barnhart's not doing enough with NIL. He hmm. calls, he basically calls him out and says like, you know, we, we need something going on there. Now he goes on national radio today and, and says like collectives and NIL are probably illegal. He believes NIL collectives are eagle in the shares. He, 
illegal and shares that they're playing against players that he knows were paid under the table. He's doing the Nick Saban thing, except he doesn't have the cachet or the you know, success that Nick Saban does. <laughs> but it makes me feel even better about what Louisville's doing. The fact that we have an athletic department that was ready for this, that has embraced it, and that we're reaping the benefits of it, at least on the football side of things, because Mark Stoops is basically just like letting everybody – it's almost a message to the fan base. When we lose a kid, it's not our fault. We're not, we're not getting helped enough. Yeah. Well, in, 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 the, in the conference realignment scenario, how much of it is like the NCAA tournament, how did the team do in their last 10 games? Yeah. Like, how has this team been in the last 10 years? And does, does our, and I say our very loosely, does Louisville's attention to name image likeness, as I think I stated earlier in the show, have an impact? Like, does, does somebody excelling at that and embracing that have an impact? And I'm not saying positive. I'm just positive or negative. Does it have an impact? You know, I... I look at trajectory and I think the potential is extraordinary. And I I don't want to I don't want to be that guy, but I am that guy. I I hope we can get some more guards and I hope we can win some basketball games the text, the text in men's it basketball. Says, it just says Sean guards. Oh <laughs> man, I mean you guys seen this? You heard about this? I, I, Bob Valvano has some of the best advice, and I, I used it with the baseball team last year because people were coming after me after the first weekend down in Florida where the team lost two games, and I said, you know, you, you got to let the cake bake. Mm-hmm. This team is of any team we've ever had. You got to let the cake bake. We got a bunch of young guys, we got a bunch of inexperienced guys, and by the time the season was over, every player that batted and every player that pitched had more at bats and more innings pitched in the season than they did in their career. And so for them to be literally inches away from a deciding game to get to Omaha, or you can even say two swings away from being in Omaha, was an amazing season. I'm not going to put my evaluation of Kenny Payne in a year from right now. Same. It's not going to happen. It's not going to – I think – I've always said I think every college coach needs four years. I think anybody that fires a coach after two or three years, unless there are other mitigating circumstances, is stupid. Uh, Unless it's one of two things. Mitigating circumstances or you've got a Hall of Famer and and Jay Wright can be hired. You know what what, what I'm talking about there. But but I can't can't judge that. But that's not to say that I'm not – look, he and his staff are doing all the right things. Everything they can do right now to win, they are winning. I just hope they can win basketball games next year. I'm Mess- nervous. Message board topic right there. Sean Moss says Josh Hurd will bring in Jay Wright after two years if Kenny Payne can't get it done. That's what I heard. That, that was my takeaway. That's all I heard right there. I don't know. It boggles my mind how you get in trouble on this show. I don't see it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just telling you. That's, a, that's the way it works. You're the third-line grinder that goes into the corner and comes out with a puck, and your opponent comes out with two teeth missing. You're, you're a grinder. Works. You're a disturber. Well, usually it's Trevor doing it to me, and, like, and then people actually <laughs> take, taking it and running with it. So uh, it's nice to have the shoe on the other foot here. As far as the, yeah, the guards thing, I think the one thing that it does, if you, if people feel like you didn't assemble a roster, because like, I had concerns about the roster last summer. I voiced them. I was hoping I was wrong about it. I wasn't in the end. I have concerns about the roster this year. I'm hoping I'm wrong about it again. If I'm not, and the season goes poorly, and people are saying, you know, this was easily avoidable. We had guys out there. The transfer portal, you should never be that far behind. I think it only matters if things don't go well for him on the recruiting trail with 2023. Yeah. If and again, it's why I keep swinging closer and closer. I don't want to call DJ Wagner like a must-get this early in the process because I don't think any player is a must-get. You can, If you don't get DJ Wagner, you can still build a hell of a class if you land a couple of the other top five-star players that we're in on. But perception-wise, if you, don't, if you have a disappointing first season and you were brought here 
primarily with your your number one asset as a recruiter, mm-hmm. and you lose a kid whose grandpa is on your staff and who played here, and who for a moment in time was widely believed to be in your back pocket. It's not going to sit well with a lot of people, and then things get a little bit difficult for him. So I, again, like, would love to have a great season. I think that would would mitigate the the pain of losing DJ Wagner if that does come to fruition. But if you don't, you need to get the kid. Wow, you used mitigate and fruition in the same sentence. That should that gets an yeah. award. Let me let me pose this to you. Put a blue hat on. Sure. The school down the road doesn't get Wagner and gets out recruited by Kenny Payne. What what's the impact? Do, don't don't you think he is the single most important recruit for Kentucky athletics, top to bottom, right now? He is. What they have going for them is they already have the uh, commit from Robert Dillingham, who's Understood. a top five guard as well, who basically does a lot of the things that DJ Wagner but, does. But wouldn't the message be you lost? Yes. Like, like I, I've said this before. I'll, I'll keep saying it until Wagner commits somewhere or signs somewhere. The stakes are significantly high for both sides, and the reaction is going to be more extreme from whoever doesn't get him. No question. Because uh, and I honestly think at this point, it's always changing. I, I think it's getting to a point now where it's going to be more of a big deal if Louisville doesn't get him, just because fairly or unfairly, it's been painted for the last several weeks as, like, he's a Louisvilleine. We did hire his grand. I mean, a national – I keep saying national letters text me as if it's, like, all these different people. It's, like, five – it's, like, the same five guys. Well, that, text still, me about stuff. They, they – you know, one guy texted me last – I guess two days ago and said, why do you hire Kenny Payne if you're not going to get DJ Wagner? And that's going to be the, the take from a lot of people, both locally and nationally, is, you know, you thought you were going to get this kid. You hired his, his grandpa who I get played at UofL. I get that there are reasons to hire Kenny Payne outside of just his lineage. But uh, most people thought that this was at least partially to make sure that you got the number one player in this 2023 class at that time. And if you don't get him and he goes to UK, it's going to be a bitter pill for a lot of people to swallow. If UK doesn't get him, putting the blue hat back on, it's a it's yet another indication that Calipari is on the downslide. Well, right? that's, that's what I was going to bring up. It's not like he's sitting on the throne right now saying everything's great. Right, like he needs he needs a big season. He thought he got it. He thought the bounce the bounce back season was supposed to happen last year, and it did for five months. Mm. And then one, you know, March gives, March takes away. One forty minute contest takes all of that away, and now it becomes a season that's sort of it gets lumped together with a nine and sixteen campaign, which again is the the beauty and the cruelty of March is they were a two seed last year with a national player of the year. And because they lost to a 15 seed, people are talking about them as if they were the nine and 16 team and Cal's done. So you have this deal where in his first six seasons, Cal went out there and got whoever he wanted recruiting. Number one player was going to go to UK almost every year. And when he didn't, it was going, the, the, the player was going to like, you know, it was Ben Simmons going to LSU, yep. Anthony Edwards going to Georgia, something like that. And Washington, and he was still getting, you know, the number one, number two class. Lately, it's been the number one player in the class seems to be a lock to go to UK. And then something happens. Memphis hires Penny Hardaway. James Wiseman goes to Memphis. Cade Cunningham hires Cade or Ohio, Oklahoma State hires Cade Cunningham's brother. He goes to Oklahoma State. This was is Zion Williamson. I mean, everybody pays him something. <laughs> Clemson can't hire his dad. Duke winds up getting him. Something has happened that has ruined all this. And Cal hasn't had the same type of on-court success to, to to alleviate those concerns. They haven't been to a Final Four since the 2015 season. If he loses DJ Wagner again, another kid that he was perceived to have in his back pocket until something happens, Louisville hires Kenny Payne, I, I think there will be concern if UK has another season where they don't go deep in the NCAA tournament. But I think that concern is will still be less for them than it will be for Louisville, who, let's be real, like we hired Kenny Payne primarily because of his recruiting prowess. 
I think you don't hire him if you don't think he can coach a little bit. But this is a top program in the history of college basketball, top seven program. You don't hire guys without head coaching experience unless there's a like a gigantic benefit to doing so. And with KP, the gigantic benefit has been this guy's going to bring you players the likes of which you haven't had, even under Rick Pitino. You haven't gotten those five-star top-ranked kids. This is what's going to happen. And if it doesn't, and the team stinks in year one, I think then the the grumbling continues, especially when we've gone so long and we're so desperate to get back to where we expect to be as a program. It's easy to forget, too, how many coaches, even in this program in different sports, have been their first head coaching job. Yeah. And they've been pretty good. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about Denny, you know, Bobby, Charlie, Dan McDonald, Jeff Walls, you know. I, I All think, doing pretty well. I think the three things I'll say, one, and, and again, I, Tom Jurich, when he came aboard, at Colorado State, the same thing he did at Louisville. He told his coaches to build a program, not a team. So DJ Wagner is crucial, but it's it's not the be-all, end-all to me. Two, <laughs> Dewan didn't come play for Kenny Payne. Did not. He played for John Calipari. Yeah. So, and, and then the other factor, too, is at what point does Mitch Barnhart's lack of ability with name image likeness change when every single dime gets thrown at DJ Wagner? Not to say that Louisville's not going to, but the recruiting success that Kenny Payne had and Nolan Smith had and the staff had was without that really being a factor to a certain extent because it's still new enough that I don't know how much it was exploited to bring kids on campus last year. And he's been resistant to it so far. Like, like that, That's the sense. It's another thing that's going to happen. You see UK friends freaking out about NIL and kind of coming after Mitch Barnhart. You have Kenny Payne on record, and it also doesn't help that he's being juxtaposed with the football program and what they're doing. Like, like fairly or unfairly, the football program is viewed as, as using NIL to the – the fullest extent. Oh, right? yeah. They like, figured it out. We, we are <laughs> recruiting at a level that they've never recruited at before, even with, especially at a time where they haven't had, like Louisville won six and seven last year, lost to Air Force in a bowl game. Mm. They have not had a winning season since uh, Scott Satterfield's first, and that's their only winning season since Lamar Jackson left campus. This should not be a time where they're going out there and getting the number one running back in America from Texas. But NIL has changed the game, and they're benefiting from it. On the basketball side of things, we did not get, we struck out, in the transfer portal, we got one kid, Brandon Huntley Hatfield, who was the first kid to visit. We are like the perception is we went after a bunch of guys, we didn't get them. And when Kenny Payne comes out and says, like, I'm not using NIL to, to get kids, I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm going to pay you this much. If, if a kid's requesting something, I'm not listening to it, they can go play elsewhere. That's going to sit fine so long as you continue to, if, if, so long as you get the players that we expect to get in 2023, 2024, if you don't, and DJ Wagner is one of those guys who goes elsewhere, people are going to start saying, okay, maybe it's time to start using NIL the way that football is, is using NIL. I think that's a, a secondary conversation that's going to happen because if you don't, you know UK is going to. Like, you know other programs are going to. You know it's already happening because you've lost, I mean, let's be real, like, you lost Tyrese Hunter to Texas because of money. You lost some of the other guys. You lost a kid to Missouri because of money. You lost like a kid to, to Creighton because of money. Like that's, it's the way it's going to be. Well, for a and, while. and again, what, what's great about hearing you say that is, <laughs> you can hear other teams talking football and saying you lost this kid to Louisville because exactly. Of money. And, 
we're in a day and age where, and, and this is something coming from the Colorado State background, like, you know, on, on signing day, you know, we go to the press conference and Sonny Luby could be on the podium and coach, what do you think? And we look at it and, you know, oh, chose, chose Colorado State over Northern Colorado, Southern Utah and Texas Valley State. And you're like, well, that kid must suck. Like he, hey, he, we've been there, you know, and then, and then you sign a kid and he actually thought about going to UCLA and you're going, Holy cow, this kid is going to be a stud. And you know, and then Sonny tells you, well, what do you think of the class? He goes, I don't know. They get him on campus, punch him in the face. They might fall down and cry. I don't know. I mean, they look great on paper. Let's get him out and play. And so, you know, those days of, oh, well, who did you pick him over? It didn't matter. Yeah. Now it doesn't matter because Joe Booster at central Michigan might be willing to give a million dollars a year to five men's basketball players, and all of a sudden, Central Michigan, the, the chips are just legit in basketball. <laughs> I, <laughs> That's I, the world we live in. It, it really is. And I do love when national people are like, well, what is Louisville doing? And I'm like, you know, people love the Big Four Bridge. They, they love the balloon glow. <laughs> the, the kids love getting in here and, you know, going to a homemade pie and ice cream kitchen. No school in Oaks Day. No, no school in Oaks Day. It's a big draw for everybody <laughs> around here. Everybody wants to come play. Thornton's text line is 502-414-1450. Text says Sean Moth and Mike Rutherford, Radio Gold. Love it. We appreciate the text. Uh, keep them coming in. We'll get to you in the last segment here. We'll talk until 525 coming up after the top of the hour. Keep it locked right here on 1450 The Big X. This is the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X Sports Radio. Hey, welcome back in. 5 o'clock hour here at the Mike Rutherford Show on 1450 and 96.1. Reminding you guys again, it's the heart of summer. It's not exactly sunny out today, but the sun's coming back. You know it is. And when it does, you want to be prepared. The only way to be prepared this summer is by going to ShadyRays.com, picking out a pair, and checking out and using the promo code BIGX. When you do, it's going to save you 15% on all those sunglasses you buy. ShadyRays.com, you know the, the guarantee that they have to. If you lose those in the first 30 days, if they get sat on, broken, fall in the pool, ripped apart, whatever, they're going to hook you up with a replacement pair. No questions asked. Again, ShadyRays.com and use that promo code BIGX when you check out. It'll save you 15%. Sean Moth with me in studio. Had a lot of fun today. We've been talking about a variety of things. We haven't gotten into, I want to talk some more baseball with you, but I think you can come back tomorrow, can't you? Let's do it. We'll make it. Sean, we'll be back tomorrow. We can do that. Uh, the Swim Swam Conference Realignment <laughs> Report has thrown us all off kilter. We've been reacting to that. Uh, there's been other stuff going on as well. We had to pay our respects to, to James Kahn. It's been, it's been fun. What do you, um, I also just saw the news. I guess this happened earlier, but news to me, Rafael Nadal is pulled out of Wimbledon, which means Nick Kyrgios is going to the Wimbledon final. I knew that you would you would get on that. Man, I used to follow tennis when I was when I was 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. And you just, from when I was five or six years old, I used to go up and spend summers with my grandparents in Billings, Montana. And my grandma and grandpa and I would go camping and we'd go to Yellowstone and we just, just a lot of great memories, a lot of great times. But part of that was always during, you know, Wimbledon, and and I I never missed the 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 majors, especially maybe the Australian Open, not so much. The French Open maybe was third, but U.S. Open and Wimbledon I never missed. And it, this was the Connors McEnroe era, Lendl, and then into Becker, yeah. and and even Sampras and Agassi, and then I started to tail off, and I just don't follow it like I used to. And I I periodically turn it on, and I I still enjoy it, but I'm just not 
as in tune with it as, as I, I wish I were. I don't know if that can be attributed to uh, the lack of superstars from the United States or if it's just the fact that I've I pulled away because obviously the McEnroe Connors and even I, I, not to slight the women, I mean, Graf and Navratilova and Everett and, uh, you know, Jennifer Capriati and, and, and those names too were, I, I mean, I watched it all. I loved it. I don't know. I, I'm not quite as in touch, but I did see that headline. I know you're a tennis fan, so I figured you'd touch on it. Ultra-nationalist Sean Moth. It's what we've always said. <laughs> it's what we call him. It's the, it's the only explanation for not being involved in, in tennis these days. But it's probably going to be uh, Djokovic versus Kyrgios, which will be mm. I mean, just so much anger. So so many so many slammed rackets. So much yelling. <laughs> so many upset chair umpires. But uh, wow to see Nick Kyrgios, who's always had this crazy potential, but you never thought was ever going to get over that hump, become a Wimbledon finalist. Also, I mean, would be a, a hell of a culture clash if he does win. Is, I mean, that, the, is that the pinnacle still? I think so. I, I think it's still the big it's still the big one. I mean, you know, some players will tell you, like, well, I like uh, the American crowds more, so I'm more into the U.S. Open. Obviously, for Nadal, he's crushing it on clay, so he's the only yeah. person who matters. But I think it's still, it's still Wimbledon. And Kyrgios like, is great on grass. I feel like from a tradition standpoint, it is to – tennis what the masters is to golf majors because i'm not you know the pga and the u.s open kind of hold their own when it comes to that popularity significance but you just you can't beat the strawberries and cream and the the grass and just the tradition there i still want to go at some point i was gonna say you haven't been have you no it's it's probably top of my bucket list for sports i I was actually in london during wimbledon but it was on a like a choir tour when i was 15 years old and so there was no opportunity for me to stray off and actually go but i bought a wimbledon shirt um, and and I on that same trip we kind of toured parts of Europe. I physically saw my first clay court, and it blew my mind because yeah. I got on it and walked on it. And I'm like, when I heard clay, I was like, well, you mean like like hardened like cement, right? And you know, you watched him play sliding around on it, and you're like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And then you step on it, and it's like this isn't they played tennis on this. Yeah, and I'm sure it wasn't a very good quality clay court. You know, it was more like a warning track in baseball, but. It's nuts. Well, something like the LCC here in town, Louisville Tennis Club, has like some of the best clay courts in the area. It's why they host tur- like if you want to play a clay court tournament at a middling level, like one of the bigger ones, at least growing up when I was, it, it was here in Louisville. And do, do you play? I I did for a brief period. I, love, I always tell the story. Like I was really, in, I got really into it in the '90s when Sampras and Agassi yeah. and Michael Chang and, and those guys. Oh were yeah, at the height, and like I I loved it. Like I loved playing. And I would play in like some sort of um, what do they call it? Like novice tournaments. I yeah. got going. I took lessons and w- was into it. I was, this is the time in my life when I was playing everything. And I had one baseball game where I went over three. And my dad was like, "That's it with tennis. It's, it's over." He thought it was wrecking my swing, so he put the kibosh on it when I was like eleven. And um, I mean, I, I played for like the school and just just fun. Like I play recreationally now, every now and then, not as much as I'd like to, but it was. For somebody who like I was very much a I, I love playing team sports. Don't get me wrong, but I like held myself to a very high standard and would get very frustrated if I was pitching and didn't have like the right defense behind me. I wouldn't like call anybody out, but in my mind I was like, come on, man. Like, like you know, just, I heard the avalanche story from one. Yeah. Very, very, that was that day. Like that, that was a different, I deserved to be frustrated then. And I voiced my concerns very loudly. Uh, but tennis was probably better for me. Like being an individualist explorer, yeah. like not having anybody to, to blame besides myself, I probably would have, I would have liked to have played more, but it's also one of those sports where if you're not playing competitively by like seven, like like the rich kids are, then you're. I feel like you're behind the eight ball. Yeah, I I I dabbled in that. I I was athletic enough that I could do things athletically, even though I didn't play a lot of sports. But I, 
I grew up with a municipal park behind the house, just like across the, the ditch, and we'd walk over the fence, and, and there were racquetball courts, tennis courts, and then there was some other kind of weird tennis that was played with like a wooden paddle that had holes in it. And I, to this day, I don't even remember what it was. We never had the equipment. We never played it. But we, I would play tennis with my friends, and like my first serve was really good, but it was only in like 0.4% of the time, and it well, was always an ace. Yeah. And, and then when you're trying to just play pickup tennis with a buddy and you're both relatively athletic, like if you hit the ball four times combined it's just an incredible rally yeah. like that's a volley for the ages <laughs> and so it just got to a point where i didn't like it because there was an out of bounds and then we went next door to play racquetball and i'm like there's no out of bounds this yeah. is fantastic <laughs> so then it, i just devoted all my time to racquetball so i gave up on tennis pretty quickly even though i, I did enjoy it playing it i just got frustrated with just the tra- I, I don't know how they do it the trajectory of the the height of the net and the speed of the ball yeah. and how they can control it the way they do. I was much rather just take all my anger out on the little blue ball and let it ricochet off of 14 different walls. And Yeah. Mary, Mary and I would walk up to, before we had kids, would walk up to the courts at Wagner High School from our house and like would, would rally a little bit and kind of got into it. And then, you know, kids, they, they, they wreck everything. So we, we need John Rutherford of Virginia to become like a little tennis prodigy so we can get back to playing. So we'll see. Uh, speaking of, I mean, I know your son's still acting up, uh, having a fantastic career. It's yeah. Big things on the horizon. Yep. Got a movie coming out on Netflix uh, sometime this fall featuring Adam Driver called White Noise. Excited no to see that. Uh, it's already after the Academy Awards, it got some early Oscar buzz. So you're kind of excited about that. Uh, he had to sign a... Uh, a, a would a, you wear shorts to the Oscars? Uh, I, I, I don't know that I would be invited. You'd but, have to go. But uh, I always told my wife, if I ever like had my 15 minutes of fame where like I was calling a Louisville baseball game and got hit square in the nose with a foul ball and still called the game and I like ended up on one of the D-list talk shows, uh-huh. I would wear shorts. <laughs> I would be that guy. I would be the guy that would finally say, I'm sick and tired of people considering jeans to be casual and shorts to be gross. I refuse like, to conform. Come on. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. But uh, he, um, yeah, the, he signed the non-disclosure agreement, so he couldn't tell us all the details of the movie and everything that went on, but excited to see that come out. A few other cast members, if you look up the IMDb page, that he, he had the opportunity to interact with and a very prominent Hollywood director that he had conversations with. And he's actually been at Governor's School for the Arts. They have two different sessions. And so he was uh, he was a CRS for the first session, came home for two and a half days, and he's back for session number two on campus in Lexington. So keeping busy this summer, making money and, and doing what he loves. That's so, awesome. Yeah. I just checked my email box and He's a Paul fan. I'm invited to <laughs> I'm invited to a forum about keys to transfer success for potential DePaul transfers on July 20th. See what we're all about and take the next step. <laughs> Mike here at DePaul, we want to take every opportunity available to introduce transfer students to the benefits of choosing DePaul to complete their bachelor's degree. Uh, well, well done, guys. I, I don't know what else I could say. The, wow. the DePaul fans continue to to flood the Mike Rutherford show and continue to make this. They're very upset about us pushing that game back for next year. I uh, yeah, no kidding. And I, I I go back to the man. I remember Ray Meyer and Mark Aguirre and. I'm trying to think, Dallas Comages was was playing when I was thinking high school. And there was somebody else with Mark Aguirre, very prominent player that played in the NBA, but I can't remember whom. But the DePaul thing amuses me, and I I, I learned very quickly when I got here to Louisville <laughs> what that game meant to the fans of Louisville in that part of the country. Yeah, I mean, pretty legendary. But to, to your your them. feud 
is uh, it was so one sided. Pretty for a legendary. Long. I missed when it was one sided. Now it's, <laughs> now it's become two sided. It's not nearly as fun. social media has ruined it. Uh, we'll take we we'll take as many texts as we can get to here. People want to talk to Sean Moth. Who wouldn't want to? Five zero two four one four fourteen fifty is the Thornton sex line. Uh, Texas says right when conferences decide to blow up divisions, an actual good idea for most conferences. We get the worst wave of conference realignment yet. It's a fair point because I actually talked about this on the podcast today. The ACC makes a move that. I think fans have been clamoring for for a long time, at least fans in the Atlantic division, uh, not the Coastal so much. They scrap divisions after this season. They go to a scheduling model that prohibits the the deal where you're only playing like a Virginia Tech once every six years. Like that, We've played VT one time, and it was during the COVID season, which has sucked. Um, people are in favor of that. You also now have that schedule in 2026 that Louisville fans have been just dying for their entire lives. Georgia. Notre Dame, Florida State, Clemson, Miami, Kentucky. Like, it's it, it's what you dreamt of when we were in the 90s playing Southern Miss and Tulane on back-to-back weeks. And now, like, are we even going to get to that season w- with that schedule in place? It doesn't – it kind of feels like no. It, it feels like the smart money is on that not happening. Does, does any part of you believe that before all of this can come to fruition with UCLA and USC that, that the NCAA will – implode and uh, at least from a football standpoint and it will be turned into something that is overseen by a commissioner and there is complete realignment that just blows up everything that's trying to happen maybe or or is this is that a pipe dream because I, I I still remain hopeful that that there's some way to salvage what and, and it, for me it's not even I don't know. Yeah, like just thinking about <laughs> UCLA and Michigan playing each other in a conference football game. Yeah, like it's just it's a Rose Bowl. That's wrong. Exactly. And I I, I hold out hope, and I I'm not one that's going to be stuck in my ways as a traditionalist that needs everything to stay the same. But but there's a limit. Yeah. Just and and zero consideration to like like UCLA's track and field team. Like their volleyball. Like the volleyball is really interesting for folks that don't follow that sport. Because the two conferences are the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And now for UCLA and USC to go into the Big Ten, that's insane. It's all insane. Uh, and I don't even think it's an ageism thing. It's not a, like, oh, the old man fears change or whatever. I think even young fans are, are like, this sucks. Like It's not the way it's supposed to be. I mean, I've been alive 37 years, and, and even I, like, I can recognize that USC and UCLA as West Coast powerhouses – playing in the Rose Bowl back in the day, playing uh, against those Pacific Coast schools, being the champions of the West, not Michigan. And yeah. it, it means something, even when it took place before I was born. Like, like there's something to be said for traditional rivalries. And to just throw it all away for, for you know, very clearly a, a cash grab, yeah. it feels so wrong, and it feels like it's headed in the wrong direction. I read the, the Reddit post from the West Virginia fan a couple of days ago, and it's so true. You may think it's cool to, like, play – new schools and, and the novelty of like, hey, like like you said, UCLA playing Michigan in a regular season game, it wears off pretty quickly because oh. you realize all of a sudden it's not a non-conference game anymore. Those things are exciting when they happen, you know, two times in a decade. Like us playing Georgia is very, very cool for the, having that non-conference deal. Texas A&M, same thing. When you're playing them on an annual basis and you realize there's no real hatred between these fan bases, oh. there's no real disdain, there's no history here, it, like, it wears off very quickly. Yeah, would you rather play Virginia or Cincinnati? Exactly. You know, would you rather play Wake Forest or Memphis State? Or go back to playing West Virginia. Like we had a, yeah. we it, these things take time, and we had a really good thing going with some of the schools that we had developed rivalries with yeah. in the Big East. Like West Virginia was headed to a very fun place in multiple sports. Oh, yeah, I think the basketball rivalry with Marquette became one of the most hot, just because you had no question, and there was no reason for the for us to be rivals. But you had great games, great teams, 
back to back to back to back years, like that's how these things happen. It, it, it can't be forced. And every time you go to a new conference, you start from scratch. And it's like we're I feel like we're still not in a place where we're developing these rivalries in the ACC. But maybe like 10 years from now, us in Virginia could be a real thing or us in North Carolina in, in basketball or football or something could be a real thing. But it's it takes time and you can't have that happen if you're just blowing up the entire sport once every five years. Well, and what, NC State and Duke have been in the ACC since 1952? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> last time I checked, that's a long time. I always, I'm a West Coast guy. You know, obviously Colorado's not the West Coast, but I always appreciated the Pac-10. And like I said, I remember when it was the Pac-8 and Arizona State and Arizona left the WAC and went to the Pac-10 and then expanded to the Pac-12. And I always thought their pattern was so perfect. You got two in Washington, two in Oregon. You got two in Northern California, two in Southern California, two in Arizona. I don't know why they couldn't figure out a way to add BYU and Utah instead of Utah and Colorado, but I hate the buffs. Who cares? But, <laughs> but it was just such a perfect blueprint. You had that entire, everything west of the Rocky Mountains was Pac-12 country despite the San Diego States or Fresno States or Boise States or, you know, Nevada, Reno or UNLV or whatever. But then to, to not just blow it, like even if it had been USC and UCLA to the Big 12 and Texas and Oklahoma hadn't left, that it would have bothered me. But this this is just stupid. It's, stupid. <laughs> it's, it's all stupid. Uh, Texas is just tuning in today. Uh, today's Trevor is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Texas says, I don't think UK is actually working against UofL to join the SEC. If they were, and it was a situation where uh, we're not going to the SEC would cause serious harm, Bashir would need to get involved. Eh, maybe. I don't, I don't. I mean, I don't know how much Andy Bashir does, would. Does anybody have that power? Does the program no. have that power? I'm looking at no. Texas. Everybody talks about how Texas is the single most powerful athletic department, which I'm, I'm guessing that probably Notre Dame is maybe a step ahead of them, but I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know that Fox they have the power. Fox and ESPN have that power. I think that's it. That's true. That, that's and they all. always have. Oh, man. Somebody, uh, Red Rocks guy just sent in this cool picture from the, the AF Celebration Parade. Look at that. Oh. Look at that. Why don't you just see that? Now, that was one of the greatest moments of my lifetime, standing at Civic Center Plaza in front of the, the city and county building in front of an estimated 750,000 to a million people with uh, all four TV stations at the time the ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox affiliates carrying it live. All of them had it. It was the first championship ever. I think they decided that it was 73% of TVs were watching in addition to the million oh, plus awesome. that were in the – and I got to introduce the team, and it's the only time in my lifetime that I have been physiologically nervous. I wasn't nervous. I introduced, I didn't MC it. I just introduced the team. You know, They're like, hey, great celebrate radio and TV. It's great. What a win, blah, blah, blah. Let's meet the team. Boom, I'm on. Uh -huh. I got my Ricola's, I got my water, and I would take a drink. I would introduce number two, Sylvain Lefebvre, and immediately my mouth would just, like, I was just eating cotton. Oh, and I, he, they'd cheer, and I'd take a drink, get a cough drop in my mouth, put it out. Number four, Yui Krupp, boom, cotton mouth. Game winner. And I wasn't nervous, but physiologically my body was reacting where I could not, I couldn't get any lubrication oh, going wild. to talk. And it was, the, I've no, I'll never forget it. And I've always told people when people are like, oh, do you, do you get nervous? I'm like, after that one? No. How can I be nervous about it. anything? Yeah. The first championship, I mean, they, they put first on our rings because it was the first championship for basically the mountain time zone for Colorado, for Denver. And the, the Broncos won two very quickly after, but that was the first pro sports championship for the state of Colorado. Where's your ring? 
I almost brought it. Oh, you I almost have. brought it. I've, I've got pictures I can show you. I'll bring it tomorrow. There you go. Uh, Texas says, let's be honest, UK is not blocking anyone from joining the SEC. Texas A&M tried like hell to block Texas, and they couldn't. I'm not comparing mm. Texas to Louisville, but at the end of the day, money talks, and UofL has some of the most in the ACC. Plus, Adidas won't let their flagship school get left out of the big two. The last point is something that's interesting that, because yeah. Louisville, I mean, we do have the biggest contract with the with Adidas right now. I think the second most lucrative apparel deal in college sports entirely. And I sure as hell hope that Adidas is helping Louisville with football recruiting as much as our rivals believe they are. Because if that's the case and they have that much pull, they should be able to get us into the Big Ten or the SEC. Um, but it's a fair point. If you've got these other Adidas schools that have lesser deals, you'd think that Adidas would be going out of its way to make sure that Louisville has a seat at the table. But how much of a, you know, do they have more cachet in, mm. in this than ESPN and Fox? No. But do they have some? Who knows? But, you know, start doing something, Adidas. We, you owe us. You defrauded the program. Well, the federal and, court said so. And, I mean, just being honest, where has Adidas been and where have they gone? You know, it used to be UCLA, Wisconsin, like Nebraska. Like, there were a lot of big-time programs that were Adidas schools. And last time I checked – that that list continues to dwindle and I, I think tennessee i mean there were a number of programs that were tradition heavy and part of the big two what people are talking about now that that are no longer i don't are there any adidas schools in the pac-12 or in the in the uh, big 10 uh, uh indiana the problem with the, with adidas now is their their biggest brands are like basketball schools like yeah. it's us it's kansas, kansas. it's indiana yeah. uh, i mean miami's an adidas school i always felt like they cared a lot more about international and soccer than they did about Collegiate athletics, but I could be wrong. Text says, um, talking about James Conn, my nine-year-old watched him, and I just watched him as Agent DeGuerre in, in, De, in a racer with Arnold Schwarzenegger last night. There you mm-hmm. go. That's a nice little uh, James Conn recommendation. Text says, Sean Moth meditation app, or use Sean Moth's voice to deliver bad news app. I'd buy that. <laughs> oh, there, there's my cameo. Hello, Bob. I'm sorry to tell you that your mother's passed away. Uh, Nancy Love. <laughs> She's packed up the thing. She's gone. Your next wife will be your second wife. Texas says, on a scale from one to do you believe in miracles, where do you put your famous home run call? <laughs> a one. No. I, I got to meet Al Michaels. That was awesome. Did you really? Yeah, uh, at Coors Field, on the field. I did that opportunities I had as a working in radio in Colorado, I just I got to meet so many incredible people. And when I met him, that was especially unique. I was nine when the miracle on ice happened, and I was a hockey fanatic because I was a fan of the Colorado Rockies, and it was it was extraordinary. But yeah, I I don't know. I I probably stole it. I I I didn't steal it consciously, but I don't know. I I'm glad fans like it. Texture says, uh, we were talking about Red Rocks earlier, the, the John Tesh concert at Red Rocks is all time. It is. Have you ever seen the clips from that where he does round ball rock? I have not. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's losing it. He's going nuts. Wow. The place is going nuts. It's incredible. Basketball. That might have been circa UNLV winning a national title there. Might have been. I think it sounds like about the same time. All right, we got to get out of here today. Cardinal Insider with Jody Dumbling's up next. But Sean Moth, we had so much fun. We're going to do it again tomorrow. How's that sound? Sounds good. Sounds great. 3 to 5.30. We'll be back tomorrow. Everybody have a fantastic Thursday. We'll see you on Friday.